Generation Radio with Kendall Moore, WVON, AM 1690. Let's talk about it. Come on. New Generation. Kendall Moore Talk Radio, WVON, AM 1690. Streaming live from the web, WVON.com. Let's talk about it. What you guys call us in mid-stream? Welcome to the Kendra Moore Show. Sandy, look at that. Look at that. Anyway, folks. Happy Friday, y'all. Happy Friday, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the Kendra Moore Show. Of course, we're streaming live at www.vom.com. We're also a part of the iHeart family, uh, the iHeart Radio family. And you can also uh, check us out. We're streaming live at the Kendall Moore Show. Dot com, as well as on Facebook. So people on Facebook right now, we're going to have a terrific show today. So I want you guys to go to my Facebook page. It's called The Kendall Moore Show. And you can see us uh, in the studio live. We'll also get an opportunity and a chance, hopefully, to uh, read some of your comments. There is so much to discuss here this evening. I don't even know where to begin. But I do know that uh, this show is dedicated to the LGBTQ Family, well, dot, 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 family, happy Pride Week to uh, all of those out there who are participating, family, friends, supporters, and allies. Big shout to the LGBTQ. Now, before I continue, of course, I have to turn it over to Robin Lewis. Robin, how are you? Hey, how you doing? Hi. Hold on, let me put my headphones on oh, okay. so I can hear your voice. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Hello. <laughs> Hello. She's right. got her shoulders out again. <gasps> oh, you, you know, I didn't even <laughs> notice <laughs> that. I had to mm-hmm. look and see. It's mm-hmm. hot in this room. I have to. It, it's it's you know, hot in here. Be ventilated. <laughs> <laughs> How's your week been, Robin? It's, you know, man, Monday to Friday. Takes <sighs> too long. They're, they're kind of blurring together now, right? Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah, are they still blurring it's together? It's a long like time to get from one to the other, but I, it's good. It's all good. All right. Well, Robin, always, as usual, every Friday, we, we bid you adieu and wish you a very mm-hmm. happy weekend. Smooches off. All right. Mm-hmm. Robin Lewis, everybody. Of course, Westside Will in the building. What up? What up? So dope, Sandy. Hey, y'all. So dope is dope, dope, dope. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come for me. <laughs> now, the Beretta, Fire Nines in the building. You know what? Now I've been doing something, y'all. And I don't know what she's been doing, but she's been doing something. But me and her, we're going to have a She off. has been getting right we, with the Lord. Hello. Thank you. I'm, I'm, you and know. living in her truth and her purpose. Come on. 
that's what the more the that Lord, will give that, you the glow. The, the that will give you, you yes, that, that will give you the glow, her inner glow. Thank you. The glow. Uh oh. You know when the woman say that they glowing. Yeah. Do you know what that means? Yeah. Yeah. Naya. I'm not going to talk about that I over the air. Told you. Uh, oh, okay. All right. That, well, that's good to know. That is good to know. And, of course, the one and only Isaiah. And what is Isaiah's nickname now? Uh, I liked the I. The I. Isaiah the I. Isaiah the I. He's, he's the I. The I behind the, yeah, the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He sees everything. And make sure that our audience sees everything. Yeah. That's right. The yes, I. Yes, yes, they do. Yes, yeah. they do. We have to get the approval, though, Isaiah. Isaiah the Eye. He's, he's a combination between <laughs> uh, Spike Lee and Prince. Exactly. Spike Prince. Okay. Or Prince Spike. All right. Yeah. I'll go with the Eye. <laughs> I'm going with the Eye. Okay. All right, folks, ladies and gentlemen, again, welcome uh, to the Kendall Moore Show. Uh, of course, this Friday show, uh, we're shouting out Big Shout. Uh, happy Pride to everybody that's out there. But I'm telling you, for this next at least 20 minutes, me and my colleagues, we, we would be remiss if we did not mention what is happening in this country. The orange one is absolutely bananas, Will. Uh, he done went out there and got everybody uh, infected, and now he's hey. trying to call. You know what? We ain't got time. Let's see. Uh, it's Florida and it's Texas, and mm-hmm. they, those were the states that said they were going to open up anyway regardless. They opened up early. Right, right. And, and, and look at it. It's surging now. Mm-hmm. So hopefully... We don't get that surge either. Yeah, but because yeah. we just t- today we, we opened up. We were, we're in phase. We're right. in phase four. Phase right. uh, Coming in today, I saw a lot of people, you know, out and about. So I was pretty happy about that. But we we shall see. Yeah, we still have to pre- uh, practice social distancing. Yeah, we, we do. Still have to, you know. All right, absolutely. All right, so I'm looking at the clock. I've been talking too much already. Damn, time is flying today. It is. is. Delve, is this the 17 already? Hey, listen, when I come back, I'm going to keep talking. Don't touch the dial. <laughs> Getting you from your work week to your weekend. It's Kendall Moore Radio for the Next Generation. is the number. Happy LGBTQ month to everyone out there, family, friends, supporters, and allies. And mm-hmm. I am an I ally absolutely. All right, folks. Uh, so just a little bit. We, uh, we want to touch on this uh, because I would be remiss if I did not. And that is, um, you know, the, the story that's currently trending right now. 
with regards with, 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 with regards excuse me uh, to the young man uh, Elijah uh, Elijah McClain Elijah McClain mm-hmm. for those of you who are not familiar with Elijah's story uh, to give you the cliff notes of it this young person um, you know he in my op- my humble opinion is the epitome of what our young African American people are very humble, um, hard worker, stayed out of trouble, clean, you know, nose clean, played the violin. That's me, man. Uh, you know, could have been a little will, yeah. could have been a little will, mm-hmm. um, but nonetheless, on his way home, I mean, on his way back home, the police accustomed, uh, uh, you know, accosted him. And and so the story goes, right? And 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 I, I I'm telling you, each time the police get caught up with their tapes being shown, it just gets uglier and uglier. This young man, and and what brought me to tears, and I honestly say that many of you who follow my show, you know that I have uh, four sons, four or five, I, one, two, three, four, like four sons, and they're all different ages. And I, I have to train them. And it's a shame. 2020, you have to train your children how to respond and react to racists. Why do you have to be the nice person to a racist? That's really what it boils down to. This young man, literally, and he had his, his, his hood on. He had a mask on because he suffers from, from different um, anemia. From, from anemia. anemia. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and as the police are doing what they're doing to him, he's like, listen, he's explaining to himself, like, I'm, I'm not one of the guys that you think that I'm not one of those. Mm-hmm. And what he basically he was saying, he's not a thug, like he's not a dope dealer. He's not a drug. He's not a troublemaker. He, he told them that he suffers from he's an he said he's an introvert, meaning, you know, he, he keeps to himself. And so he's telling them, listen, I just you know, I'm, I'm just trying to get home. But but Kendall, if I may, I have to be a little sarcastic. Of of course he look he looks suspicious. You know why? Because he was wearing khakis and he was wearing a polo shirt and he was clean cut. That Negro was up to something. Cause that's the only time we do that it's when we up to something. Man, well, and that's how people mm. think about us. You could be dressed very well. You could speak very articulate. They don't know if you're educated or not. And hell, in some in some instances, they really don't care. They just know it's something disingenuous about you. Because how can a Negro be that cultured? And that's really what it is. It is. They judge you. They don't care they don't what care, you Will. wear. Yeah. They don't care. They don't care how good you speak. They don't care if you play the damn violin. You know why? Because it's obvious that you up to something. And that's how some of them speak. That, that, that's how some of them think about us. You they know what's care. interesting? The person mm-hmm. who called the police on him, they had the nerve to say, well, he's not doing anything. I, he, it doesn't look like he's up to anything, good or bad. But, you know, I just kind of, I, I don't know. Just in case. Just it's a, because he might be dressing that polo shirt to go over there and rob that old lady. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And it's disheartening. I'm just reading in this one article uh, a website called The Cut. And one of his friends had this to say about uh, Elijah. They said, um, he often spent his lunch breaks at local animal shelters putting on concerts for cats and dogs because he believed music would help soothe their anxiety. And his friends describe him as just gentle. So I'm just thinking of this young person. Like, this is a person who taught himself to play the violin, and he's in animal shelters. Yeah. 
concerned uh, about he playing himself, you know, to, he playing. himself to play the violin, right. really? He's still up to something. I mean, right. and, he's and still playing, up to something. playing to what racist white people, playing to the, the, the people who they put above us, cats mm-hmm. and dogs. You mm-hmm. see what I'm Right. Listen to yes. that. Right. Yes. And he's playing for them. Yes. And his and, life is not even and worth it. Now, his life not yeah. even worth yes. it. And then you can hear one of the police officers saying, hey, bro, you know, take the, take the camera off of me. Don't put the camera on me. Mm-hmm. And you can hear him again saying, please stop. And then what we always say, I can't breathe. Mm-hmm. And here we are. And, and on top of that, out there in uh, Colorado, on top of that, we wouldn't even be talking about this right now if it wasn't for George Floyd mm-hmm. because they buried this damn case. Yeah, so his which, homicide was related to a carotid hold, which means they were holding him. He was being choked out. <laughs> and that's basically what it came down for to. For no reason. And he no. got injured and he died he dies a year later. And which was it will. They did not they did not charge the officers. Yeah. They've been out doing whatever the hell living their life. Yeah. yeah. Living their best life. But man. but but he was look, man, he was just too clean cut for me to trust it because everybody knows all black men wear their pants hanging down low, see? It's and fast forward, we're in an era now we where everybody is wearing a mask. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So this yeah. happened, you know, pre-COVID. Yes. But he's suspicious he's because suspicious. of his mask. You know, you know, I don't care if you play the violin, you speak well. Nah, that don't mean nothing. You up to something. See, you're doing that so you can do something else. It just speaks to it does not matter. It does. I don't care what station you are in life. You are guilty based off of the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. And that's what we tell them. Everybody don't understand it. Those who try to act like they understand, they really can't comprehend. I think I hear some people, the best things that I hear coming out of uh, white, non-racist people is we, they, we ha- they have to listen to us. Mm-hmm. And they have to be empathetic because they, they cannot, by any stretch of the imagination, begin to understand what we go through mm-hmm. on a day-in and day-out basis, even now. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. with all of the protesting and all of the marching, the same shit is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. boils down it, to it, our, it is. our humanity is not enough. So it doesn't matter that he played the violin and he was gentle and, you know, he wasn't a thug. Like, none of that should even matter. Just the mere fact that this is a human being mm-hmm. who should be treated a certain way. Like, that's just not enough. Our humanity is not enough. But like I said, there's some people that don't trust that. They see, hey, you up to something. No matter how educated you are, no matter how well you speak, how good you dress, no matter what type of activities you take, you up to something. So we get, must investigate. Benjamin Gates was on his porch during the first year of uh, President Obama's uh, uh, presidency. Remember? Oh, yeah. And uh, his uh, neighbors, he'd been living over there for years. He just never came out on his front porch. He was going in and out of his house, getting ready to go up to his house. Police came because his neighbors called. He mm. got into it with the police officer. because This is a professor. Beergate. I remember that. Beergate. Beergate. This is a professor. You know? And, but just even with the Beergate piece, I'm still, like, confused because, you know, how do you get invited to the White House for a beer? After you have, uh, you know, put on... And, it, it, you know, it, you know, exuded so much racism. It's just that's that. why, you know, I saw a meme that stated, I am not like my ancestors. I will F you up. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, I, I am not like my ancestors. I will F mm. you up. Yeah. How many times do we have to give racists a pass? How many? 
And then I know you heard about what's happening out in Wilmington, uh, out there in uh, North Carolina. When, when the, poli- the, pl- the police officers got caught on, um, on camera because they, the camera keeps running. It didn't. It, so they stumbled across this. Mm-hmm. And these racist police officers talking. I mean, I got to take a break. When we come back, you know, I got to mention that. I told you I was going to keep talking because we, we okay. got to get into the rest of the show. Okay. But it's, it's, You can't leave us hanging on that story. So, yeah. yeah. No, no. It's hard, yeah. though. It's yeah. hard out here. It's the Kendall Moore Show. We're back in a moment. Getting you from your work week to your weekend. It's Kendall Moore Radio for the Next Generation. Minutes after the hour, it's the Kendall Moore Show, 591-1690, that is the number. All right, folks, you know, prior to me going to break, I did want to uh, at least say this to you guys because I brought it up and I don't want to leave you guys hanging. Wilmington, North Carolina, three Wilmington Police Department officers, they were fired after being caught on a police vehicle camera making racist comments about local black citizens. They're now former police officers, won't even mention their name. But what I will do is paraphrase with some of the things that they, uh, you know, some of the things that they were, were talking about. And, I, again, I'm paraphrasing, but basically what they were saying is um, they cannot wait, so, you know, for a, a race war to, to break out mm-hmm. because they're, they're just waiting to get the thumbs up to go out here and shoot all the, in, the, 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 the N-words. To make it a free-for-all. Yeah. To make it a free-for-all. Yeah. These are police officers, uh, you know, who, who were sworn in to serve and protect. And they would have never been caught. Like, one has been on the force for 30 years. Another one, you know, for, for so long. All of this is just coming to a fruition. And it, right. it, it's amazing to me. But, see, that's why they have to go through all of these police departments around the country and the Fraternal Order of Police. They have to go through their departments with a fine-tooth comb to make sure their backgrounds are free and clear. Because, remember, in 2005, the FBI said that the, uh, the, the uh, white supremacist organizations had infiltrated law enforcement. And they've always been there, but they were putting people heavily into law enforcement to have the advantage. And we're seeing this stuff 15 years later, yeah. you know, every, every year. Mm. Now this article is, is, is coming to fruition. You know, you're seeing stuff. I saw a film with an a officer over in, was it Minnesota or whatever, but he gave the, the white power signal. To one of the protesters? Yeah. He did it on the side. Mm. They had him on. I remember watching. I'm like, man, look, these they got to go through their backgrounds uh, better. And being a police officer, this is a field where you can't necessarily separate your work life from your private life. So they're bringing their private beliefs, their yep. private yep. conversations, their private biases into their work. And mm-hmm. that's the problem. Like, this is how you really feel about black people. This is how you really feel about brown people. This is how you really feel about transgender people. Um, yeah. You know, th- it's personal for them. Like work, <laughs> business is personal. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, it's not separated. But I think they've tried to do a good job of separating it. But you can't do that as much now with video and audio recordings. But 
Yeah, which is why they're fighting it so much. I mm-hmm. mean, even in the legislation that's going on down in Georgia, a lot of people didn't know. The agency that I'm a part of, uh, the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, uh, they were su- huge supporters. What happened uh, out in Georgia is uh, from from um, from Floyd uh, to uh, Aubrey. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you know that there were no hate crime bills in Georgia? No. Right. Like literally, and they literally just passed one, mm-hmm. but they took out the provision um, that, you know, that stated that, police officers would be held accountable in the same type of way that a regular citizen would. But they took that out, mm-hmm. meaning the police would not be charged the same way as a citizen if, in fact, it was a hate crime mm-hmm. or, you know, charged to, to the level of a regular citizen. So it just it speaks volumes. It really mm-hmm. it, it just speaks volumes to the institutional racism that we 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 are. When I, when I say we, I'm talking to African-American people that we are always we're at the end of the totem pole on mm-hmm. and people don't just say, they don't understand. They don't get it. Mm-hmm. We could talk about this every damn day on WVON from the rooter to the tutor. And we probably should, to be perfectly honest with, but we'll drive ourselves crazy right. because what's the solution and what is the answer? When just the other day they were trying to get police out of the, the, the school system, mm-hmm. and the reason that they were doing it is so fragmented. What we do as black people, it's so fragmented. Some people we need them in there for safety. Other folks seeing it in a completely different lens, and mm-hmm. that completely different lens is stop introducing my child to this person because when they leave this school, they're they're going to see that person, and this is the impact. Mm-hmm. Police officers. In their ways, Mm -hmm. good or bad, because the ones who see the bad ones and don't say nothing, they're complicit, Mm -hmm. good or bad. They make it it, they make it bad for our children and our children are going to grow up hating them. So, again, I'm one of those who say, yeah, even if we don't remove them completely, we have to adjust what their role what the roles are and a relationship. Yeah. And they don't need to teach. But you know what I'm saying? We, we but you know, but but do you know? Uh, yeah, they, we'll, they, they don't need the things we are. But comprehensively <laughs> and the community, we gotta tear down. Yeah. You, we have to tear that. We that's that that is the highest level of, of institutional uh, racism, in my opinion. Now let's take a, a, a few steps back with that, right? So the 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 first point of contact is that police officer. If that police officer chooses to one kill you or maim you. You already in some trouble. As soon as they pull you over, if you are an African American and you are unemployed, because uh, unemployment rate is at the highest that it's ever been, mm-hmm. you don't have money to get an attorney. Let's start there. So now you're at the mercy of the court to get a decent bail for you to get out for something that you did not do. But once you are in that system, you are in that system. You are marked, and they they start marking you. Big shout to my girl Michelle Alexander. Uh, who uh, uh, from prison to the pipeline with her uh, with the, her book out? She does a fantastic job. Um, oh, yeah. the, the thing is, the prison to pipeline, the uh, school, the new Jim Crow, the new Jim Crow, the new Jim Crow, and and it outlines specifically by seventh grade. Really, yeah. they said by third grade, but seventh grade, they already know how many they are going to be putting inside mm-hmm. those prisons. Right, and those frontline police officers, those are they're the ones. And who knows what type of bonuses they're getting? They've dismantled your school system, and they've uh, they've sold out the pr- the prisons are private now, and they use the prisoners as labor to for farming and stuff like that. See what I'm saying? It's just like when they had the chain gang back in the South. It was created after the uh, the slaves were freed. 
that's when the chain gangs basically started, and they used them to build a railroad and all types of stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. As soon as slavery was over, you know, they locked yeah. them up for like little petty things, right. and then made them prisoners, and then sold them back to the slave owners. Right. And let the and they had they, they, the slave owners paid, you know, for it. You know, right. it's, it's 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 inherent. It's just a, a part of the American fabric. And I say this all the time. The uh, capitalism that exists and capitalism exists on the backs of black people. And let me give you another example. I keep trying to get to the subject that we're talking about today, but I just I can't get to it. Here's the thing. Just think about that. African-American young men and young women, we employ 85 to 90 percent of people in this world. Think about that, people. 80 to 85 percent. If a single our, our, our school system, mm-hmm. the te- we have what forty to fifty percent? No, what is it? Sixty percent, sixty-five percent who are white or Latino yep. inside the Chicago public school system yep. teaching our kids. Yep. Those are jobs that black people do not have. Used to have. They, they used they to have, but they don't have. Your 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 social workers, mm-hmm. your psychologists, your the guards. Yeah. You know, downstate. Shame on them. All the guards there, most of the guards down there are white. Yep. And, and they get employment off of us being locked up. Your, your, your state's attorneys, your, 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 your public defenders, yeah. your judges. We are economic engines. We are. Mm. We are. And we are less than 10% when it comes to building this economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we 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 you know we we're doing our part like we started the country. Man, we are chattel. Being enslaved, we are chattel. Yes, we are chattel. All right, I got I got some calls to get to. I guess, right? <laughs> I'm, you put know, your glasses I got to put the glasses on. I do. All right, uh, Dale telling me to take a break. He cussing me out. We, we played a song we probably shouldn't have played. We should have cleared. No, I'm sorry. All right, let's take a break. Getting you from your work week to your weekend. It's Kendall Moore Radio for the next generation. It's time to tell my people the truth. It's time to tell them the revelation of my second coming. Have them understand. Relate. Now ride me, baby. All right, welcome back, folks. 5916-1690. That is the number. It's the Kendall Moore Show, Triple W, D-O-N. That's how we string. Mario, how are you? Mario? Hello, hello. Hey, Mario, how you doing? Welcome to the Kendall Moore Show. Yes, uh, great. Thanks, Kendall. Uh, you guys got a good show. You fired up. That's good stuff. Um, question. Now, we always say black and brown, but how many of those have been killed or brown? Uh, please expound. When you say brown, are we talking technical? Technical uh, the the color of the skin, or Mario, no, 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 or, no, no, or are no, we no. saying? So, so, yeah, go ahead. So we a lot of times black public officials and radio people always say black and Hispanic, and they they refer to Hispanic when they say brown. Yeah, they are. And I'm mm-hmm. saying I'm saying how many of those that have been killed are brown? You know what? And I, I get where you're going with that. I do. I get where you're going with that, and I actually, and I don't have the answer for you. But I, well, I, I can tell, I can tell you, I have the answer. They're none. Okay, got you, got you. <laughs> but, but my my other point, and I'm, I know I only got a short time, but 
when it, when it comes to what's going on, I'm afraid that we're going to swindle this moment mm. because we don't we don't have an organized force that's doing the asking as well as watching what's going on and, and keeping the you know keeping the foot to the fire. Yeah, you know uh, I'm afraid we're going to swindle this moment. Also, it, this isn't the first time in history where this kind of stuff has happened to us where we've been set back and things have laws have been uh, placed in effect to supposedly help us, and shortly after that, something else come into effect that neutralized that law. Yeah. So yeah. We, need to be, we need to be mindful of that as well. But that's it, Kendall. Thank Thanks you. Thanks a lot, bro, for letting me get on. All righty. Have a great weekend. Appreciate that. Let's go to Cliff. Cliff, how you doing? Brother Kendall, thanks for taking my call. Listen, I just couldn't understand exactly what that last caller was saying about Hispanic, but that's the reason why I called. Okay. And what I'm finding out, Brother Kendall, is that without a doubt, you ever get the expression that, God is trying to tell us something. So back in North Carolina with Wilmington, those officers, who would think that it would be recorded what they're actually talking about a race war? That's not coming from black people. Black cops, black people ain't saying that. These are all white people just to examine and expose this hatred that they have towards us. But here's the reason why I called. Now, white-looking Hispanics, just like in Philando Castile, Mm. Puerto Rican Hispanics are now afflicting misconduct and police brutality amongst black people. Yep. So let me ask you, is that racism or is that simply just misconduct? And I'm finding out in my own personal analysis and observation that white-looking Hispanics are starting to discriminate against black people. That's just me. Hey, no, no, no. It's no, 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 Let Cliff. me get your point on that. Hey, and hey, I hang up and see your response. Yep, yep, yep. Cliff, I'm going to give you my point right now. You are <laughs> absolutely correct. You ain't, you ain't got to get no point from me. You are absolutely correct, sir. You are absolutely correct. Will, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. They, 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 they got the pass. Historically, they, they, got the, they got the pass to do it. You know, that's why we don't have as many black teachers in the public schools now because there's not as many black teachers. They closed down 50 schools 10 years ago, remember? Uh, all those black teachers were laid off. So what they're trying to do is accommodate the students that are there now, which are predominantly Latino. You look at the police force, predominantly Latino. You uh, well, not predominantly, but probably half and half. And you and and of course, we're a sanctuary city. And but think about it: twenty, thirty years ago, black people had those jobs; they had those opportunities. But when I dismantle your school system, I make sure you don't qualify for nothing. And people don't understand that you cannot let people dismantle your school system. You got to make sure your children are reading and writing and doing the current math. And you got to encourage your kids to do things. You got to encourage them. That's the that's the key. You know what I'm saying? Well, well, if I may, if I may jump in and yeah. to and to the caller's point, I'm just gonna call a spade a spade. It is that. The, 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 and you know what? Latinos they they swerve towards the white the white because they lived in the neighborhood. That's with what them. they do. They, they rock the Irish with the and the Italians. Yeah, they so you do. Have to understand. I'm gonna just they say it. And if they physically present as right. white, now they have a level of ability right. to pass. They identify with them because yeah. they lived in the community with yeah. them, where black people just lived in the black people's community. And, and that's real. And we had our own. And this is unfortunate, but it's real. And you can see how how it's happening in the city council here. Yeah, you know, with with the, the with the with the Latino caucus and how right. how they are moving around versus exactly. the, the black caucus. But see, I want to emphasize something I just said. When we had our own, when we had our own, when we had our own, y'all need to listen. You need to get your own because there's nothing wrong with liking your own. You have to have it so you can get the respect that we deserve. You know, so we got we got to stop fighting each other and we got to start working together. Put down your political swords.
put down your religious swords. Your preacher ain't better than my preacher and all that. Nobody want to hear that. Hey, well, you know. We it's, black people. Man, listen, it's too hard. And I'm, and I'm not being, I'm just telling the truth. It's too hard for black politicians who are in those seats because they will end up, they will end up being a regular average Joe. They superstars in the community. They get to go to the this White Sox game. They, they get to go to the Cubs game. They get to go downtown and eat good. They get invited to uh, Mayor Lightfoot's, uh, all of her little parties that she has. You know, they get wined and dined by the business people in their community. They are a somebody, and they do not want to relinquish that power. They just don't. And that's why they don't work together, because they don't own themselves. The people who support their campaigns own them. And so if uh, Alderman A is against Alderman B, and they both black, they're against each other because they're the people who are funding them, they both they have two different interests interests at, at, at stake. That's why black people, and I'm telling you this right now, will never get along. We'll it, as get long along. as you got non-African Americans funding these black folks, period point blank. That's why JB came. Mm. JB done he done bank he done bankrolled everybody. Quit playing with me, man. Let's have a real conversation if we're going to talk. <laughs> I think you summed it up. Man. <laughs> thank you. Let's I go to Tommy. Tommy, up, how man. you doing? Well, Kendall, let me ask you a question, man. And how long and how many times have I called this radio station and said the exact same thing? Because mm-hmm. what you're talking about, Kendall, is a nation of black people who do not care. That's what you're talking about. Because see, you can't go in none of them people's neighborhoods that y'all talking about tonight and set up shop and do what is done in our communities. And the sad thing about all of it is is that what would be known about white people has clearly been shown. So I don't even get it anymore. I, it's, it's, like, it's like your favorite record that you just love and you know it's already scratched. Mm-hmm. And you already know at what point it's just going to start saying the same thing over and over and over again. And it's heartbreaking. Anytime you got a community and babies can be killed, oh, babies. Man. The three-year-old. Babies. Y'all yep. not hear what I'm yep. saying. The three-year-old. Yeah. Man. Yep. I, grew up in the, I grew up here in the city of Chicago where if a Negro got out of pocket with a woman in the neighborhood, Negroes came out. Yep. Y'all got to stop this, man. I don't know what y'all doing or what it's about, but you can't do this here. And if you killed a baby, there would be no place in this city that you yep. could go. Couldn't yep. have. You, you could not have. So, yep. man, how can you tell me now? Right now, at the antithesis, how many times have I called in there and said, hey, man, attention, these characters is trying to start a race war. And now you hear it come right out of their mouth. And not only do you hear it come out of their mouth, but it comes out of the mouths of those who are sworn by the law. And then the law don't even work for us. So I don't know how much more of a put up, yo, you know what we have to have before we turn around and figure this thing out. But I'll just close with how damn dumb can you be? Love you, Tommy. You're listening to Kendall Moore Radio for the next generation on the Talk of Chicago, 1690 AM, WVON.
side But then I spent so many nights Thinking how you did me wrong And I grew strong And I learned how to get along And now you're Eight minutes after the hour, it is the Kendall Moore Show. We're streaming live at www.von.com. Also, we are live on Facebook. Go to the Kendall Moore Show, and you will see us live in studio. And uh, we really try to get to all of the comments that are on the Facebook page. And you can also uh, check out the show via uh, the Kendall Moore Show. Westside Wheel, So Dope Sandy, Fire Naya, The I, and Isaiah Moore. They're all in the building. And right now, joining me on the live line, I have the the pleasure of introducing a really good colleague of mine, really good friend, a brother, like real talk, Brother Akil Patterson. You've heard him here before. Brother Akil's background, his his bio reads as a dissertation, so it would you know it would take the rest of the show to uh, introduce who he is. But one thing is for sure, when it comes to LGBTQ um, uh, uh, issues, especially as it relates to sports and all things uh, that matter, Akil is on the front line. So, ladies and gentlemen, please allow me to introduce my man, brother Akil Patterson. Brother Akil, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Kendall. Can you hear me? You know what? You're a little muggy. I'm not sure if you're on your speakerphone. Can you get Can you get on a direct phone for me? Yeah, hold on real quick. This thing is. You know what? Ex athletes. You know what I'm saying? That's what That's what I got to deal with. You know, he's high strung. I don't know if y'all don't know him like I know him. He's a, he's okay. very high strung. He he drinks top shelf. You know, I don't. Every time we go out, I can't even afford to keep up with him. Oh the guy. no. Yeah. Well, first off, first off, let's just be very clear, Kendall. Uh, I'm not rich enough to be cheap. So that means, that means if we are going to do it, we want quality. All right. All right. Quality. I like it. Akil, I certainly want to welcome you to tonight's program. And uh, Akil, you pause right there because we do have another guest who's joining us. Yep. So also joining us tonight on the line is Cece Telfer. Uh, an Olympic track and field hopeful. She has hurtled her way over the barrier of being the first trans woman to win an NCAA championship in the 400-meter hurdles. On her journey to the Tokyo Olympics, she hopes to inspire others to live as their authentic selves. Thank you so much for joining us, Cece. Hello. Yes, I am in the house. All righty. Well, listen, welcome to the both of you. The purpose and part of the reason and why we are, you know, we, we, we have invited you here is to, oh, you know, of course, we're celebrating LGBTQ month. And we thought it would be extremely befitting to invite the both of you so that we can have a conversation 
on many different levels, uh, many different you know platforms that we're, we're coming from. But now, specifically, when it comes to sports, sports is a big thing right now. Um, there's legislation that is out there. There are some folks uh, who got a whole bunch to say, and then there's some who, who don't have anything to say. And, and so, Akil, with that, and CC, please feel free to jump in at any time. I want to give you the floor, Akil, because you have been on the forefront of this when it comes to uh, conversations and sports for the LGBTQ population for some time now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, 15, uh, hold on. Yeah, 15 years ago, maybe less, uh, not trying to show my, my full age. Um, <laughs> You know, basically, when I would talk about LGBT rights, you know, I remember being a football player and I would show up to LGBT groups and LGBT more like things, events, because I was trying to figure out my own identity. And I, I daggone near got laughed out of the room for being a black gay athlete. Nah, you, you just plain or you just greedy or you're bisexual. You know, you'd always hear different things. And because I did not fit the narrative, I had to go out and create my own. But there was nothing to be created as a black man. Most people, especially when it comes to a black man that is trying to operate in LGBT spaces, you know, when I talked about, hey, we could really get athletes involved, you know, I was back on there and laughed out of the room. But then I reached out to Brendan Nyambadagio and a couple other people, and lo and behold, you know, HRC and all these other organizations then go, oh, let's, let's use Brendan Nyambadagio. Let's use athletes. And I go, wait a second, why is my idea being, you know, it? capsulized by all these white gay men. But I didn't care as long as the the work got done. And eventually, uh, we we were able to get past, you know, marriage equality. And then there was the LGBT sports movement. And, and there was an organization called Athlete Ally. And I coached Hudson Taylor, who was a white cis male. And Hudson, using, because I'm, not, I'm no dummy, I understand that white men want to the, uh, they want to have a connection to somebody. And Hudson, blonde hair, blue eyes, is their connection to LGBT sports because they, they sexually want him. They don't sexually want the 300-pound offensive lineman. Mm. Most, most don't. Some might. So then Hudson goes off and forms an organization called Athlete Ally. And even when he tells the narrative of the formation of this organization, it's centered around him and a very white gay kid in a theater class, not his gay black coach. Because that's not the narrative that he can sell. I got you. And so, and then for, for you know, but basically, I was I, I don't care because I'm worried about the work, and I, you know, I come from the old doctrine of Malcolm X. I got you. I'm worried about us and only us at this time, and so if that means I got to use whoever good looks or no good looks to get my work done, I'm going to. I, I, it's I, about black folks. Hey, hey, Akil, thank you very, very, very much for that. Uh, Cece, let me pull you in. Uh, front cover of many magazines right now. You are on the you, you front page. You're in the cen- You're in the center of a lot of what Akil is talking about. Um, let's <laughs> let's open up your story right now. How are you? Uh, well, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. Um, so, right now, I I'm in the midst of a pandemic. Not only I work at a healthcare center, but I also, you know, as an athlete, I'm suffering from the no practices, not having a coach there, not like, you know, like waking up and and thinking practice first and then everything else after. So I'm like, I'm having withdrawals right now. I I honestly, I'm going through sadness and um, depression. And on top of everything that is going on within our community as black people and as people in general, 
Like, it, it's just so disappointing, and it's just such a bad timing, you know? Yeah. And I feel like with all of this, it, it's very overwhelming for me. It's very overwhelming for me because I'm still having, like, problems um, letting go of athletics right now because, you know, of all the of COVID-19, you know, working full-time at a nursing home and, you know, going through all the aggressive PPE that we have to go through and, and seeing residents suffer from getting tested every single day. So it's just like, it's a lot, it's a lot to bear. And then seeing my people like going through all of this struggle and, 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 and pain in, in places where they should, in places and people that should, they should feel safe around that they're, they're, they're feeling fair from. It's a lot, it's a lot to take in. So that's where I'm at right now. Uh, Cece, let me ask, Akil, you can jump in here uh, as well. Um, As a trans black athlete, what has that experience been like for you and what are some of the challenges? And then the other dot, dot, dot is, is it pushback within our, our culture or is it comprehensive? Oh my gosh. All right. So I'm going to answer that last question first. So it's definitely pushback in our culture. Like I feel like black people have no tolerance for individuals who are um, in transition. Uh, I feel like they, they, they find it hard. They find it harder to cope with, to understand because we already have so much struggle behind us. So they, they feel like this is another thing that they have to worry about. So it, it's very hard for them to, you know, grasp. And then the education piece come in, comes into play and, it, I, I just feel like they, it, they just need to take a step out of their, their comfort zone and, and, and educate themselves. And once education is involved, then you can go from there. So to answer that question, I feel like we're definitely behind and um, as black people. And also the other questions moving forward, um, <clears throat> I feel like as a person, um, I've been through many struggles and uh, and. My background, I mean, a lot of people have their different backgrounds, but um, for me, I have endured a lot from people and um, a lot from society and want to wear my heart on my shoulders. So I I treat others the way I want to be treated. So to see, it's very hard waking up every day, seeing something in the mirror that you don't really, you you don't get along with that doesn't, doesn't match your mental state. And when your your mental state doesn't match your physical state, there's a war going on. And then you have society bashing you and telling you how to act, how to live, how to live your, you know what I mean, how, what your lifestyle should be. I think my definition of that is slavery in a minimal. Like, it, 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 it's people telling you how to live your life. And if you're not, if you're not according to a certain lifestyle, then they, it, they're not going to, you're not going to live. If that makes sense, you won't be accepted. Mm-hmm. You won't be seen. I completely get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, th- and one last part is that, like, I feel like people feel like they're obligated to respect the fact that I'm a girl in transition instead of the fact that I'm a girl. Period. Like that, your 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 brain is what makes you your sex, and I'm 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 all feminine, you know. And people will never accept that. They just feel like they're obligated to like that, to accept that, to. Because that makes them a good person, and you know, when, but they don't really know the meaning behind it. So, sorry, go ahead. <clears throat> yeah. So, I, I, so Cece, I, you know, and and you know, each person's journey is individually based on their own um, you know, heartfelt stuff. So, I, I appreciate you sharing. But for me, when I look at the data and the statistics, that's wrong, because African Americans are more likely to not 
necessarily kick their family members out of the house for being gay or trans. What does occur is that they become, like families have this weird dynamic and there's a fear. There is a fear, and I remember it was quoted by someone um, that I am very close to. I won't want to say their names, and they said, you know, my fear wasn't that I had a, a, um, a gay child. My fear was is that my gay child was still black and that they were going to be murdered for now being gay. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are different levels to African-American communities. Um, yes, there is that homophobia in the church, allegedly, but yet you got the, 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 the choir director up there, you know, um, he is he's more on the effeminate side, and he is hooping and hollering, and his partner sits in the back pew, and everybody knows about it. They just don't talk about it. And in the 1920s, there was something called the Dapper and Dandy Boys, which were all lesbians who would dress as men. And then in the Harlem Renaissance, they were succeeding, and they were liberated, and they were free. What we have failed to do is continue our history as black people to talk about how our Egyptian kings and queens would, rep, would, would pay homage to gods who were of gender non-binary descent. So, you know, like Cece, like I said, while I respect an individual's journey, overall, collectively, we've been ahead of the game for centuries. It wasn't until uh, the Christianity, in the, the way the Christianity is defined with white Jesus and uh, King James removing women from the Bible because he gets mad at his ex-wife, and there are things that we have to look at for the totality and not just that one caveat of who we are. And I think that's why it's expanding around the LGBT spectrum, that we are more than just um, our sexual orientations or our gender identities. We are definitely who we are as humans first. 591-1690, that is the number to connect. Akil Patterson, of course, he's in the building. Sister Cece is also uh, in the building on the live line. Uh, Brother Will, what's up? What you got? Yeah, I have a question for Cece. Hi, Cece. This is Will uh, from Kendall Moore Show. Uh, I got a question. When did you decide to transition, uh, to begin your transition journey? And what was the tipping point? That, uh, was it during, like, your track and field, uh, during your track and field journey? So um, thank you for that question. And to answer that question, when did I decide to transition? Transitioning is not a decision. It's a correction of nature, I guess you could say. Um, I've always been a girl. I was born a girl. It was just hard to navigate with parents who are um, strict, and especially the, their, my background is Jamaican, so Jamaican people don't, don't tolerate nothing that is not um, straight. So... It was it was especially hard. So I was I always had to conform to what they were teaching me. I always had to conform to what I had to do to live, to be alive, to be safe. Until I until I had to become independent. Then I had to express myself. So so to answer your question, I was always a female. I was born a female. I am a female. I had I didn't have a choice. There was no choice in that. The only choice was to be safe and to be protected. Yeah, so so how did you know? I mean, how did you know? What was your earliest thought processes? Did you? I knew because everything, I had a sister. So whatever my sister did, I I had to do. I was like, that's, that's, that's who I am. Like, my sister is me. My mom is me. You know, I I, I wore their clothes. I wore their clothing. I, I did everything they did. I, I just remember wanting to, to be me to be free like i i just didn't conform to anything that the the boys had to do i didn't relate to the boys i i just i don't know it was just 
Okay. And and I so, but, and, and when it comes to that, because the conversations, especially when it comes to the African American community, and you, you guys know me, um, you, when it comes to the African American community, everybody is just not open to the idea, right. really. No, and when it comes not. to when it comes right. to LGBTQ issues, black people are very conservative. Most right. of them, yeah. most of them are. Most get along because they have to. It's part of the political climate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Most of the politicians they march in they march in the parades because it's the they the, the LGBTQ community right. has the power they have the voting block and that's why they support but behind closed doors you know let's call a spade right, a spade right. I'm gonna stop saying but it, at though. the end of the day it's yeah. not an idea it is a fact and it's, it is what it is yeah yeah it is no, so it, I, it, I keep pushing back against you guys statistically as I've been as I continue to say statistically speaking uh huh go ahead Akil. Statistically speaking, that is not a fact. What it is is a feeling. It's almost it is like, not a feeling, though. It is uh, not a feeling. But, CC, but, 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 but again, CC, I'm saying, and statistically speaking, because that I'm going on data, right? I'm what not this denying. Where are you getting it my from? data? My data comes from the um, national NBJC, National Black Justice Coalition. So the statistics have always said through the National Black Justice Coalition yeah, was released data. So I'm talking, when you're speaking statistics, you have to speak on behalf of un, not only black, but everybody. You have to include no, the whole population. No, 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 but Cece, what we were talking about, though, was black. And that's why I was referring to black. And that's why I said black. I'm not saying anyone else, because my conversation and my focal point is on black people that are LGBT, because our intersectionality as people is what needs to be also endorsed. Like you said, now, here was something that you said that adds a little another caveat to even your narrative. Your narrative is that your parents are Jamaican, so that means that you were you are raised under a different type of blackness, because your family had to come from another country here, as opposed to everyone in your family being born in America. So there is a caveat even you have even said in your conversation that needs to be part of your narrative. And that's where black people as a whole lose sight sometimes is that we we are not monolithic, just like the LGBT community will never be monolithic. And we are not singular. We are very intersectional, especially as black people in this country. And so when I look at the data and the information that is presented, it shows that the black and African-American community is not as homophobic and transphobic as people may think. What they do have is a consistent frustration on how things are being implemented policy-wise and ultimately as a, as a society sees things. And remember, perception is not always what reality is. So, Akil, if I if I may ask you, this is Will again. You're you're basically stating that it's like it's kind of like old world culture that has affected uh, a CC in the sense that they come from Jamaica. Uh, um, I don't want to call Jamaica a third world country. People, no, no, no. But I'm they not, hold I'm on. But this world. is what I'm saying. They do some of these countries. They do hold on to these certain traditional behaviors as it relates to this type of subject, uh, whereas. African Americans, we have always had uh, a LGBTQ person in the family or in the community. We've always had those people. We've always known they were there. They were in the church. They were just the people we would see and we'd be nice to them. You know, is that basically what you're saying? But it's still under a stigma, a stigma of shame and secrecy. So, yes, you can know 
about the choir director, but nobody is explicitly talking about even the choir director may not feel comfortable to just explicitly live in his or her truth because as a black community, we've put the black church, we've put Christianity on such a pedestal like that cannot be part of our Our culture, our being right and and and, and, and kill hold on for one second and so but until Akil's point and by nature you know the data you know men lie women lie numbers don't but now we're talking emotions one we're talking emotions and then the second part of it is we're talking a, a person's reality lived experience right, right. so that you you trump that my point from the start was that i cannot Listen, each person's individual story and their narrative is different. And so I am appreciative of people's individual narratives and stories because that's what sells when we try to make changes in this country. But the facts are, when we look at the data presented from these organizations, is that we as a people are being painted in a negative stereotype at this moment. So... You know, damn it all to hell. Listen, I grew up thinking I can't come out to black folks because black people are going to be meaner to me than white folks were. So I'll come out to white people. But then I stopped and I realized there are just as many. I walk through Atlanta and I'm, you know, Kendall, you and I have gone to Atlanta a few times. You know, Kendall's got to be careful in Atlanta. He don't know who's going to run in there. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, uh, yeah, Akil, we going to the bar. But anyway, uh, it, it's just the fact that we know that the community as a whole may not be talking about it, but the community as a whole is very protective of their own. They're protective of their children. And that's why I said the quote that I did. They weren't worried about their child being gay. They were worried about their child being killed because they were black and gay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. And that is a fear. I see, okay, I, see, I see where you're coming from. That is an issue. See, the issue is not that black you're, people as a whole don't respect of, each other. Think about it. Most uh, black trans uh, women uh, are uh, hanging uh, out with other black trans women. Hello, Nikhil. They're hanging out with black men. They're hanging out with people in their community. The difference is, is that the few in the minority who will say derogatory things to one. Hello? Right. Yeah, I think Hello? we. Yeah, yeah. Uh, CC, go ahead. Um, I was just, I was, I was kind of, um, complimenting Akil on his, uh, statistical facts that he, you know, cause I, I realized that he was speaking solely on statistics and, um, I was speaking based off personal, um, uh, personal experience and other trans females who I've met personal experience as well. So I, I I wanted to apologize to him for that because the, the the facts don't ma- don't do not match up with what it really is. So that. yeah, so I, I, I that's what I wanted to add. So I just wanted to him to you know continue his his. Talk. All right. Well, I need both of you to just hang in there because we have to take a break right now. And when we come back, okay. uh, we shall continue this conversation, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, it's the Kendall Moore Show. Friday nights are never the same. Big shout to the LGBTQ. Uh, happy happy month to everybody. We're back in a moment. Getting you from your work week to your weekend. It's Kendall Moore Radio for the Next Generation.
What up, what up? Welcome back to the Kendall Moore Show on WBON 1690 AM, the talk of Chicago. I am Westside Will. Um, we have a we are having a great conversation right now with Miss Miss Cece Teffler and Mr. Akil Patterson. Miss Teffler is a uh, track star preparing for the Tokyo Olympics, hopefully, <laughs> with everything going on. And of course, Mr. Akil Patterson is a uh, lawyer, practicing lawyer, and we're talking about the LG. BT community and it's uh it's it's uh it's yeah. situations being it's black. problems being, being black. black yeah 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 and thank you guys for 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 coming to the show um so i i do have a question for akil i want to know akil you know in 2014 michael sam came out publicly has gay he was the number one mm-hmm. draft pick you obviously came out his bisexual prior to that way prior to that Mm-hmm. You you were a frontiersman, so to speak, and 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 what uh, what gave you the courage to do that, or did you do that right out the gate when you were drafted, or you let them know, hey, I'm no, no. I am bisexual, and and this is this oh, is no 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 um no um so let me tell you who gave me the strength to come out. His name was Glenn Burke. His name was Roy Simmons, okay. and Glenn Burke played baseball in the 1970s. He pa- he tragically passed away of HIV in the 90s. But he was he came out as openly gay in like 77. Hmm. Roy Simmons played for the he played offensive lines for the New York Giants. He came out as gay in 1989. And so here's the crazy part. You you're you're saying it kills the frontiersmen. I'm not. Hmm. They were. But we but again, white gay men ignore them. Hmm. Just hmm. like they did Marsha P Johnson the black trans woman who basically started the, the, the uprising at Stonewalls, just like they ignored the dapper and dandy boys of the 1920s in Harlem. Matter of fact, Madam C.J. Walker, the first black self-made millionaire, her daughter was a known lesbian. So let's just stop the, the, the facade is that there have been people that have come wrong before either me or, or these other folks. Michael Sam, uh, he may not know it, but he is on the backs of other people. And when Michael Sam messed up that 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 great draft pick that he had, and let's be honest, and Kendall and I have said this a hundred times to each other, uh, what was he, like eighth round pick? That didn't even exist until 2000, I want to say 11 or 12. The eighth round pick, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you're like, saying he messed it up? 2011 or 12. So before then, none of us had a chance to get drafted if they wanted to pick somebody. Mm-hmm. And it was the right moment of the perfect storm. And that's what I always say, you know, yeah, you can call somebody a front runner or a pioneer or the first, but they're not really the first, and that we must always recognize that there was somebody that came before. That's why I'm big on the history. Okay, okay. So you saying Michael Sam's Michael Sam's messed it up? What exactly do you mean? Could you elaborate? Well, Michael Sam. Uh, so number one, Michael Sam was in a relationship with a white man who uh, was a um, opportunist. I guess that would, that would be the word to say. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in a relationship with somebody that saw it as an opportunity. Michael did not hold on to that relationship. It did not last longer than Michael's career in the NFL. Mm, yeah, you're maybe right. maybe a year and a, three months. And before then, that individual was in a relationship with the owner of Stallion Videos. Matter of fact, I think that individual is from Chicago specifically. Mm-hmm. So, so it doesn't like this person just Michael messed it up because of Michael's engagement with specifically only white men. And that is part of that narrative that I was talking about where I said we do a disservice because we think white people are going to treat us better when really our black folks will love us because we are black. Yeah. 
and that we've got to start saying that is that stop thinking that these white men with all this money are going to help anything. Michael Sam lost everything because he was not part of the narrative that would support him. And the support from the NFL was black athletes. But when you don't have the support of all the black athletes you're playing with, people aren't going to support you. It's just, it's just going to be a bad look. So Michael squandered that opportunity, and it ultimately, I think, it detrimentally harmed other athletes as they want to come out. So, so just question for both of you, uh, uh, both of you. You're basically saying that there is racism in the LGBT community. To yeah, is that basically what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And, and how? Because I've heard story. We have Boys Town here uh, in Chicago. I, I don't know if you've ever been there or not. Uh, but but how how deep the other standing? Because I have LGBTQ friends. They tell me things about what goes on in that specific area. How deep does it run? You know. So, um, are there I'm are there ask, are there incidents, racial incidents? Yes, there was an incident, and this is a fact. Mm-hmm. And um, um, so, Martina Marvelosa, she is a uh, female, uh, a lesbian female uh, tennis player, mm-hmm. and she was an Olympian. She uh, said to Outsports and other magazines that she doesn't believe in trans females because um, at the end of the day, they're just there to win the awards and medals, and then they're going to go back and get women pregnant and um, go back to themselves. So she's definitely not an ally, and she definitely does not support the umbrella because it's an umbrella. She does not, she's not an ally of the community is where I'm coming from. So I, I already automatically see that there is a, an issue in under the umbrella. So that if that's coming from one group, how do other people feel? You know what I mean? And and there are other uh, individuals who are under this umbrella that has had their opinions um, about uh, trans, females who are in transition competing and um, being involved in sports and even females who are transitioning in general especially black females who are in transitioning mm-hmm. race is a huge issue well, well let me since we're on that subject in particular cc um you know what you're doing is 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 very controversial i remember reading a uh, a story in the christian science monitor not too long ago about uh, a young lady and her concerns about the transitioning of athletes to women's sports. And you know what they showed? They showed a video of you sprinting. You know, uh, I, I've been familiar with you for about a year now, a little bit over a year. You know, uh, what do you what do you say of, about that? You know, how do you feel when people are, they basically use your image and say that it's unfair um, that, that you are competing against women, even as a transitioning uh, woman yourself, as a woman yourself? Wow. So it's unfair for me to be competing as a female with other females who is suppressing my te- the, the testosterone that are naturally produced in both male and females. There are females who are naturally born with higher testosterone than other females. Mm-hmm. Olympians, especially uh, female Olympians, they produce a high level of testosterone and even even out of the range of of uh, 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 average male and they are not ostracized they're not discriminated against so it's just it 
when it when it comes to what is fair and what is not fair, it, I, I feel like it's based solely off of a uh, male's perspective, and I, I I can't argue with that. You know what I mean? The 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 world is run by by males by misogyny. It, it's run by especially white males. So you can't really go against that. So all you, how you how you how you tackle that is education. You present education to them, and then once you present that. They can go. For, they can take it how they want. They can choose to use that education, or they can choose to be to have an egocentric mentality and really believe what they believe, see what they believe, and 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 just like go with their thoughts and, and feelings. Because right. that is what the world and society is all about. From from my standpoint. So what people so, say is, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kill. So what I was gonna, I'm, I'm gonna elaborate a little bit for Cece. So what Cece is probably referencing is Castor Semina who is also a lesbian, but Caster is a female track runner uh, born as a quote-unquote intersex um, and, you know, has lived her entire life as a woman. Um, they try to ban her from competition, and she doesn't take anything. No, no hormones, no steroids, nothing. But because she had a higher level, because she was born as intersex, and intersex is basically they decide at birth what your gender will be, um, what, what, I'm sorry, what your outwardly gender will be. And so, you know, she never had a choice. She was born, she's been a female her whole life. She's ran the track. She won Olympic gold in 2016. And the International Track Association has tried to ban her from competition. And so she's been most of this time in, in the courts, you know. But, you know, at the same time, you didn't see them trying to take Caitlyn Jenner's Olympic gold medal away. Hmm. Yeah. Just something to think about. Sure. Yeah. So, but, yeah. uh, so does testosterone or estrogen, does it make you, does it, it make you, it's designed to make you weaker or does it, is it designed to, and this is for CC. Excuse me. I should have, uh, said who I had this question for, but for CC, because <laughs> I mean, you're, you're you interesting to talk to. Yeah. Yep. And I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, see, does, basically we changed the policy. And so I was with in the United States Olympic Committee when we changed the policy in 2000. Okay. And I want to say 2008, when we changed the policy to allow trans athletes to compete internationally because we decided in the United States that all you need is to change your passport. And it was only for travel purposes okay. that that was implemented. After that is when the, the, the United States Olympic Committee then started to divulge with the IOC, the recommendations of when you can begin the process and how long you would need to. And I think that's where Cece jumps in because she lives that experience every day. So, Cece, are you the, would Cece be the only uh, transgender person no. competing? Yeah, that's the question I have. So, they are, there will uh, be other transgender in, individuals competing during the Tokyo Olympics. Absolutely. Yes. So, um, there's Chris Mosier and there is, um, there's another, uh, female who's in transition um her she did the the 5k mm -hmm. and i don't i i don't believe she made it because that was way before um the the that that was way before the determination of when the olympics was canceled so mm -hmm. i think the 5k um olympic trials uh, was way before everything was canceled so those athletes i'm i'm pretty sure advanced to the 2021 20, olympics mm -hmm. so um she did not make it However, Chris Mosier also did not make it. He is a trans man. Um, he is um, he's involved in a lot. I he I think he just 
he got disqualified because he got an injury. He was suffering from an injury for a year with his knee, so he didn't uh, advance to the Olympics either, which is way before the whole COVID shutdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and to answer your question about estrogen, estrogen is, it, it makes you more, uh, it, 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 it just uh, amplify everything that you have. It makes everything plump, meaning it, it, it gives you, it makes your hair grow, it gives you softer skin. Um, it helps with uh, breast growth, uh, your hormones, in the sense of uh, it, it alters your, your hormones. So your your whole biochemistry is changing. Right. You get the 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 PMS syndrome. So you 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 have though if you're on it for a really long time, you have the the every month uh, cycle of um, you know having a uh, menstrual cycle, and then um, you also have testosterone blockers. So that is so you know if your body is all about um, uh, stabilization and keeping everything in alignment. So if you're taking estrogen, your testosterone is going to try to match that to go up. So you have to take something else to suppress that and to elevate something else in order to really correct the biochemistry. So my estrogen is being elevated and my, my testosterone is being suppressed. So that is one huge factor in the disadvantages that I have athletically against anybody else that was born cis female or not so the average person is producing more testosterone than i am so imagine what an olympic female is producing what she is going through and what what is going on in her biochemistry no nobody's going to look at that because she was born female and she you know everything about her her whole life has been female uh, uh, estrogen is is not necessarily making you weaker then it's contouring your body exactly it does not make you weaker exactly yeah, you know, because it, it there are people out the, here who say that 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 uh, transgender athletes or athletes that were formerly the opposite sex men they compete at a higher level. Now, I have right. some friends that would disagree. They say no, a woman can do everything that a man can do. I yes. believe that too, intellectually, but I believe our bodies are made different to do different things. I believe a man's body is made to lift a heavier load than a woman. Not saying that a woman can't lift a load, but she he can lift a heavier load because of how his body is made. Because uh, a, a lot of times a woman's body is made to carry a child. Um, so the thing right. is with that, you know, the controversy comes in when people say that it's not fair. They don't think that a transgender person should be competing in a woman's sport. And see, so, that's where the hormones come into play. Mm-hmm. So what is weak? What does make you weak? What is weak? So when it, when it comes to um, training and so going back to the hormones, when, well, that's when the hormones come, come into play. So I'm elevating my estrogen. I'm suppressing my testosterone. Ma- males are born with um, naturally higher testosterone. So they're producing all of this. The more they work out, the more they exercise, the more they produce testosterone. And the more aggressive they grow up and, and, and become, the more testosterone they produce. So if that is suppressed, they're, they're not going to be how they were before. There's no way because they're blocking all of that. Is that, that is decreasing, and eventually it's going to become minimal to the point, uh, to the point of an average female, um, an average-born female. It's all about muscular um, makeup and how aggressive the male is. When, when you're in a tribe, you're looking at the strongest male. You're not looking at just any male. You know what you see what I'm coming from? Right. And right. and it also comes to when it when you're 
talking and speaking at an athletic level and people saying that it's unfair, mm-hmm. it, you have to look at the training, the resources, and what the, 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 the individual is going through. It, it doesn't matter about um, if I'm a female who's in transition. The, the biochemistry is, is taken care of. I'm a female, period. It, it depends on the training and the, the, the resources that that individual is getting. I, I don't have a, a high state, a high facility level. I don't have athletic trainers catering to my every, my every injury. Right. No, I have to suffer to everything that I have to go through. And if I take one day off with my hormones, that's, a, that's pushing me three days back because mm. I'm producing no testosterone. So I have to work twice as hard as any female. So if people are looking at me saying that that is unfair, maybe they should take one step into my shoes to feel how I feel. And maybe, I don't know, start taking testosterone and start taking um, hormones and see how the biochemistry is changing. Do your research. Do, do stay, Get your facts straight before you make a decision because when your child grows up, people are going to make the same suggestion. And then when it comes to female sports right now, mm-hmm. to answer your question, to, 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 to expand, female sports is in jeopardy right now because if a female is too strong, too fast, too aggressive, and too good, she is questioned of her sexuality mm-hmm. and how she was born, which is totally 100% Yep, uh, uh, Jackie I got to push back now because CC has said female sports are in jeopardy and that is, that's a falsehood. Female sports have grown exponentially since the past, since the, the interpretation of Title IX and how that is, has been seen across the country. More male sports have been cut than anything else. Matter of fact, on most college campuses, there are at least five more female sports on every college campus than there are male sports. It's not. It's not like I'm, you know, fundamentally making this up. So right. that's that. That in terms of the size, the data is wrong. Okay. So Akil, Akil, yeah. and CC, I have someone online. I have a head on the line. I just want to get to him really quick. Uh, he sure. has a comment. So give me a moment. Head, uh, how you doing? You you there? I am here. Hello. How are you? Hi. I'm great. I just wanted to make a comment mm-hmm. about uh, Cece, that um, me, I'm a black woman, and I feel like no matter how many hormone injections Cece takes, he can never be a woman. He doesn't have a womb and can never give birth to Cece a Cece is a woman. Cece is a woman. Cece is a woman. Cece is a woman. Did Cece buy a womb or something? Thank you, Head. And being able to have a child, it does not make you a woman. Okay, I'm sorry. So so could you elaborate a kill? Could you elaborate? No, see, see, no, that was was me using my male privilege. (laughs) And thank you, Head, for your call. That was me using my male privilege. And and I'm going to be very clear. I'm going to be, uh, I will always stick up for the people who, you know, Cece doesn't. She, Cece, Cece is also younger than me, right? So she's still, she's still growing as a human. She's still learning who she is as a person on top of all this other mess. And when a woman calls in saying, "He, no, mm-hmm. Cece is a her," mm-hmm. and it costs us nothing. And I mean, this is from a Christian tenement boy. Mm-hmm. It costs me nothing to be nice to somebody and refer to them by the pronoun or the name they have asked me to. I don't have to like him. I don't have to be friends with him. But I can be respectful enough to say that is CeCe's name, and she is a she. Okay. Hey, so I have a Rick on the line as well. So let me, uh, let's me let get to Rick really quick. Hey, Rick, how you doing? 
Okay, how you guys doing? All right. Oh, excuse me, I don't, I don't want to say male or female and get trounced on like my man just did. Uh, anyway, what I'm saying is this. You know, we always talk about right, white privilege. It's prevalent in the gay community also. We grew up on the west side of Chicago. There were certain people that we knew or had an idea that they were gay when we were young, but they could fight. So growing up, when they, they came out of the closet and started wearing female garb, and they may have somebody who they were their mate that didn't know what we knew and would give them a hard time, and they'd kick off them high heels and beat the hell out of them, look like Sugar Ray Leonard. So everything plays into this. I mean, we're making the big issues out of things. If somebody wants to be called a female, that's their business. And I think that white privilege thing, when they leave our communities and go to another community where they're looked at differently and treated differently, because they're gay, then you see a whole different person, and they're more accepting, okay? Mm-hmm. It may have been kind of in the closet, a little out, but it was more accepting in their communities. Hey, and thank you for that call, Rick. knew what we knew. Thank, yeah. thank you for that call, sir. Okay, so, so uh, Akil, my question is, or Cece, both, both of you, my question is how often do we see the reverse? How often do we see a woman who decides that she wants to transgender over into a male uh, athlete. Is that, has that been done? Is that out here? And can I add Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hi, this so is Nettie. Can I answer that question you answer? Hey, University hey, uh, Kiel, there, uh, I'm sorry. Nettie Wilson is on the line. Before I apologize. You, before you answer, I just want to add to that question. Is there as much pushback as well for men who transition to women as it is for women who transition or identify as men? Personally speaking, oh. no. Sorry. All right. So I so I I will not answer the second part about the pushback because again, this is each person's individual lived experience. Not mine, not and, and, and even with Cece, I mean Cece with all due respect, you, you can't speak for anybody else. I'm not going to speak for you. You shouldn't speak for anyone else. But I will say, um, I believe Kai, Kai, uh, Kai came out at George Washington University around 2007, maybe 2008. So Kai uh, transitioned, but because the way uh, Kai's transition occurred is that the, there was no protections for any trans athletes. So Kai was told, um, you have to remain on the girls' basketball team even though you are a boy. Mm. And so Kai understood that, and Kai finished, uh, Kai Holmes, uh, he finished his career at GW playing on the women's basketball team. Now, Kai was a, is a great you know, you know, black person. Again, this is another black person I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kai and I became friends, and I understood. Kai, Kai helped educate me, and that is something that I think needs to be happening um, because – uh, there are other athletes that may want to come out, and they need to be educating um, the community. And, and we, and again, I, I heard Cece said people should educate themselves, but as we know, most people aren't going to educate themselves when they say, "Well, why don't you just tell me?" Because no one else is going to go through the reading and the research, and you know it gets very difficult. So I do believe there is a, a level that us as allies and us as people who are in the movement and in the work should always be able to help respond to questions and questions of, uh, of concerns. Okay. Um, I have another caller on the line, Stephen. I want to get to Stephen really quick. Hi, Stephen. How are you, sir? Hey, good evening. I'm doing very well. How is everyone else? Good, good. Awesome. Great. 
Oh, wonderful. Well, I, yeah, a great conversation tonight. I think that um, it's one we definitely need to have more of, and I certainly hope that in the future we can involve in the conversation of LGBT rights the rights of those who practice heterosexuality as well. Okay. Now, for me, I'm a recovering heterosexual alcoholic, and, uh, you know, I've never wanted to dab all, all into the other realm, but it seems to me like this download phenomena and this whole thing about coming out in 2020 seems somewhat suspect because the LGBT community has been celebrating pride and has been getting so much uh, reception and acknowledgement in the mainstream, why would there still be LGBTQ members who are living, opposing as another alternate lifestyle in a lifestyle that they were naturally made to be? I I just don't understand that one. What do you mean living and opposing? I'm sorry, I I got... Well, there's the down-low The down-low culture are members of the LGBT community who oppose the heterosexual. Okay. They're marrying women, they're procreating with these women, but they're actually homosexual. Okay, so and hold on, lines. Part of the Thank- LGBT community. Okay, so mm-hmm. thanks for that question, um, Akio. Could you please elaborate on that for us, please? So, so what I so I understand what he's saying, and you know, it's a, like a life that I once lived, right? Mm-hmm. You know, sleeping with a lot of women because I was an athlete, because that was expected. But at the same time, wanting that affection or love of the man that I was attracted to. So I understand where his question comes from. Um, and it's about where you, where you, where you are mentally and socially in your, you know, your life and also where you are physically in the world. Like, again, there are some young brothers and sisters and siblings, you know, young brothers, you heard what I said, brothers, sisters and siblings for those gender nonconforming individuals that are listening. We, we have to identify with them as well. But when you have people that very rarely, like they might have seen somebody beat up a transgender woman. Uh, and they and they knew that she was trans, and that sticks with them for the rest of their life. And so they're fearful that if they come out as trans, they will be attacked mm. because of what they saw. Not because, and again, it's about what we present as the narrative to our community. Is well, it's always this bad stuff. But hold on, where where, where are okay, the fathers so, and where are the brothers that are doing so, the work? So That's let me ask you really quick: what, So what can we do as black people? And this is a question for both of you before so we, before we close out this section. What can we do as black people to to get more informed to, to be able to help our LGBT brother to be better allies yeah, to be better allies, of course. So um, that, I oh. feel like as black people, we should all like if we're you know we're definitely partly stuck in the past, and if we really want to be stuck in the past, look at what we went through. Look at, look at, look at, look at all the hurt and pain that we've been through. Let's move forward. Try to step outside of your comfort zone and, and try to unite each other, regardless of sexual orientation. And if you really want to focus on, on racial and ethnic, ethnic, um, ethnic, you know, ethnicity in general, like if you really want to focus on that, then, then focus on uplifting the community, like focus on unity, focus on, all right, he's gay. I accept him. You know, he's gay and he's black, you know, that's okay. different. I accept it. He's a good person. He's not committing crime. He's not making anybody else life a living hell. 
I accept it. You're you're making our community better. Period. All you right. Know, like, hey, thank I, you for that. Uh, thank I, you for that. Uh, yeah. uh, CC. Uh, Akil, can I, I get your yo? Akil. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna keep it even simpler than that. Don't we gotta quit this jealousy model or the oppression Olympics across the board? Rather, you're black and trans or black and queer or black and gender nonconforming or black and whatever else. Okay. We're all black. And so when the oppression Olympics starts, and, you know, offense, I'm not a middle-aged white woman sitting in my house. Okay. I will always be black. Okay. I will always be black. Mm-hmm. I do not have access to the white capital. I do not have access to the white money. So I'll always be black, and that means I have to build for black people. I have to build for black trans people. I have to build for black people. And we need to make sure that our brothers and our sisters that don't say, well, you're not a woman because you don't have a womb. You're not a woman because you ain't do this. Or you're not. No. Okay. If someone identifies as a woman, you treat them as a woman, and you leave it at that. All right. And don't start talking about craziness. Thank right. you so and, much, and, for thank, that. Thank, thank you. Really thank you so you. much, uh, 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 CC. And Akil, thank we you thank you so for much for me. taking the time to speak with us. Yeah. We want to welcome you back, you guys back again in the future as well. Uh, WVON family, please send a warm thank you to Miss Cece Teffler and Miss a- Mr. Akil Patterson. Thank you for speaking with us this evening. Don't you dare touch that dial. It's Kendall Moore, radio for the next generation. On the talk of Chicago, 1690 WVON. This is the Kendall Moore Show. We stream live every Friday night from 6 until 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. Triple W, W, V, O, N. Did I say W? You did. Triple W, W. Triple W. Triple w, 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 like the, like the w, w. V, O, N dot com. When you hear that music, of course, you know it is time for the Lit Roundtable. Uh, before we get into that, though, nonetheless, I want to give a big uh, big thank you. Thank you to Brother Akil Patterson, Sister uh, Cece uh, Telson. Did I, did I get that right? Uh, Telser. 
Telfer. My my apologies for uh, butchering the name, but big shout. Uh, big shout to the LGBTQ month. Uh, mad love and shout out. Uh, respect and pride. Make sure you guys have a great pride this weekend. The Lit Roundtable. We are here. 591-1690. That is the number to connect. Everybody is still in the building. But now um, we're going to have uh, a person joining us in just a second. Now, where are we at? We good yet or no? For the phone call? We got We on the phone? Okay, very good. All right, so uh, joining me now, listen, folks, many of you who follow me, you guys know that I uh, participate with the, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm working something out right now. Um, I participate in, and work for uh, the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. I got some of my interns who are doing tremendous works across the country, and right now I do have the pleasure of having a couple of them who's going to join me on tonight's program uh, Miss Cyan Simmons, let me bring her on right now. Cyan, how are you, sister? I'm good. How are you? I am well. I appreciate you being here. Cyan, I'm coming back to you in just a second because I was with you earlier today and you were out there showing <laughs> out. I cannot wait to share your video and what you were doing. Also joining me right now is Isaiah Moore. Isaiah, how are you? I'm doing good. Come on, pull up to the microphone for me, Isaiah. Uh, <laughs> Isaiah, how are you? I'm good. All right, very good. All right, so in the rest of the crew, they are around. Of course, Fire Naya is in the building, and she's doing a recording. In any event, welcome to tonight's program. It's the Lit Roundtable. Of course, we're celebrating uh, the month, and just want to thank uh, both of you, all three of you, for being here this evening. Cyan, I want to start with you. Listen, you uh, tell folks about you, because I know you're down to school. You're about to be a senior. I've been knowing you since she was like two years old, probably. All right, maybe that's a little bit longer than I really did. But nonetheless, uh, the school that you are about to graduate from, because you're going back as a senior, what you are majoring in and some of the work that you've been doing out in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I am about to be a senior at the illustrious Tuskegee University. Tuskegee in the building! And I am a biology and psychology double major, actually. And at Tuskegee, I do a lot of work in the community, helping out the at the high school and mentoring some of the girls there, tutoring there, and then on campus, just a bunch of stuff. And I also try to give back here in the Chicagoland area when I come home for breaks and for summer vacations and just truly try to give back to either community that I'm involved in. You know what, and you're doing tremendous work. You know, I, I've been following you for some years now, and you are doing definitely some tremendous work. Talk about a little bit of the work that you were doing today uh, over at the Southside Help Center. Big shout to Vanessa Smith, the executive director, Pearl Jackson, who was over there, Mr. Cherry, the entire team over at Southside Help Center. Southside Help Center, ladies and gentlemen, they are based here in Chicago, 10420 South on Halsted Avenue. They are an African-American service, servicing uh, community-based organization, servicing the community. And uh, so tell uh, the WVON listening audience what you were, what you put together and what you were participating in today. Yes, I, um, I put together a food um, giveaway and supply drive. So today from 3 to about 5.30 when we actually ran out of food to give away, we were giving out bags of food, those different pastas. There were bags of bread. There was some milk, a bunch of diapers, wipes, toiletries, whatever anyone, anyone might need that they can't find at the grocery store right now or they couldn't get to the grocery store to get. 
we pretty much had, and we were giving them out about one, people could drive up, walk up, we were handing out the bags and just making sure everyone was safe and fed in the community. You know, I ain't going to lie. I, I wanted to take a bag or two, but, you know, I, I would have <laughs> felt bad. I, I saw them diapers, too. You know I got oh. twins. I, they, they were size one. I looked at them a couple of times. I saw, Bob, you know, just bricks of water. I'm like, oh, oh my God. $1,000. So, I had tremendous, tremendous work. Let me pull in Isaiah right now. We need to hit uh, Will's mic to make sure that we can hear him in there. Uh, Isaiah, and welcome to tonight's program as well. Uh, people, we've been talking about you, and people <laughs> have not seen you. They haven't heard from you. Isaiah, let uh, the WVON listening audience know. Big shout to your dad, by the way. Um, and, listening and, last week. Yeah, who's listening last week. We don't know if he's listening this week. I don't know if he's listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell, tell, tell the VON audience uh, who you are, what you're doing, man. And uh, excuse me, uh, what you are doing uh, in the city of Chicago. Well, in the city of Chicago, I, um, I moved here three years ago to come to college, Columbia College Chicago. I'm double majoring in cultural studies and television. Um, part of that work was to uh, bring representation to marginalized folks on the screen um, because the representation in media has been uh, lackluster and negative for the most part, and that kind of contribute, contributes to the internalized um, biases that people have and preconceived notions that they hold. So that was one of the reasons why I got into that field of like media and also cultural studies. But um, through Chicago, um, I first joined uh, the Black Student Union at my college as the community service director after one semester there. And through that, I um, just connected through a lot, of, a lot of different organizations in Chicago, like the Greater Chicago Food Depository, the YMCA on the South Side, um, Be the Match, and also like they um, help like sickle cell and stuff like that for people who are uh, black, you know, match people that are black. Um, and different kinds of work like that through community service, and that's usually how I got my, my feet wet and, like, hit the ground running when I came here to Chicago because I've always been involved in the community and wanting to advocate for uh, marginalized groups. When you say you came to Chicago, where are you from? I am from New Jersey. The East Coast. East Orange, New Jersey. What do you know about Red Man and Method Man? Aren't, aren't, isn't Red Man from Jersey? I've never heard of Red Man. I've heard of Method Man. <laughs> well, I'm, it's I'm like, so, I am so it's like sore about it. Like, I've how heard of Method Man. I even seen him in Red Chicago. Red Man is from Dirty Jersey, though. Look, Nork. Nork is it different from? If it's if it's the bricks, that's Brick City. Brick City, yeah, Brick City, Brick City, yeah, that's yeah. Nork. Okay. You're from the bricks, man. Red man, <laughs> red man, method man. Oh, yeah, but in, in in any event, though, Cyan, uh, Isaiah. So how you, the both of you, the three of you, because Naya's doing her thing right now. Why now? Like the the younger generation. They're really holding and doing the work. And I want my colleagues to uh, chime in on this. 591-1690, by the way, is the number for folks to call in and give their opinion. But I'm opening it up. I'm, I'm opening up the conversation because from where I sit, young folks right now really are trailblazing the way. They're the ones who are out there marching. They are the ones who are out there holding individuals, re, holding them accountable when it comes to what is happening with black people? How do we get to that? Uh, how do we get to that space? And what is it that is encouraging you all to to participate in this civil unrest? I feel like young people are always the trailblazers. They don't necessarily get the credit, but the older you get, the more you're set in your way. You're set to old ideology and just traditions. 
the young people are the one to say, you know what, wait a second, let's think about that. Or let's be more open-minded to how other people see things. So, Isaiah, I would love to hear why you guys are so vocal now, but I feel like from, I don't, I'm, I'm not an older generation yet. I'm not that old. No, you're not. But I'm also <laughs> not in their generation. So from my perspective, I feel like it's always the younger generation that gets the ball rolling mm-hmm. to get the older generation to pay attention and to open their minds to something different than how they have thought their entire lives. Mm, understood. Uh, Cyan, uh, Isaiah. Do you want to respond to that? Yeah, I can start. Um, for me personally, it starts with uh, my mother from back home. Um, she was a single mother for a long period of time when I was growing up with me and my sister. And she studied African-American studies in college. And, like, I would see her studying this kind of stuff at night. Um, she would have different um, paintings and pictures and, like, infographics just all over the house uh, for us to learn because she's a teacher. Um, but, like, it wasn't, like, forced upon us. It was something that we just were around so we just knew about. So that inspired me to, like, well, that made me reflect as to what I was learning in school, and I realized that I was not learning any of the things my mom was teaching me mm. in school. So I figured, well, I have to teach myself now. So um, through that, I figured that education was the best way for me to, like, advance myself um, because at the time my father was incarcerated and he was in prison. So I felt like I already had seen a path that he had laid out mm. for um, at that point. So I was like, I'm going to do something a little different. Um, so I had to study more. I went to go study at the College of New Jersey and Princeton University for a couple summers. And then, like, really get my activism roots going. And, like, every year throughout high school and middle school, I saw every year, like, there's an uprising and there's a civil unrest around police brutality mainly. So the first thing I started studying, because it was close to my heart, was because my father was in jail as well, was a mass incarceration, the war on drugs. So that was the basis of my activism and also cultural appropriation. And then through that, um, I went on to, like, found clubs at my school, do race relations work in my community, even recognized by Princeton for that kind of work. And then just, like, keeping my activism alive through learning for the most part. I'm not trying to put, like, the cart in front of the horse um, for a lot of the times. And as I got older, I realized I could be more active. And my kind of first um, kind of, like, active role in the community was, like, volunteering at, like, local churches and food drives and um, Habitat for Humanity. My mom signed up, me and my sister up for that, and we, like, helped build houses for um, disenfranchised people in our community. So we're doing that. And then, um, obviously, like, me coming to Chicago, I wanted to, like, expound on that and get more knowledge around that kind of stuff and just be more active as I can. Um, I even campaigned for, like, Bernie Sanders when he first, because I couldn't vote at the time. Feel the burn. So I felt like the only way I can contribute was to actually go out there and not get some votes and kind of do that kind of thing and donate the little money I had for my after-school jobs. And that was kind of the root of my activism as well as on social media. But now I feel like as if I can do a little bit more as I get older. Um, just turned 21, so, I mean, sometimes I still feel like a teenager. But a lot of the times I still want to get out there and just do more. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like I can do more, even if it's just helping people, donating, being an advocate, or whatever that looks like, or even just protesting and marching right on the front lines. Um, the revolution looks different, and the roles of a revolution is different, and there's many parts to it. And I just want to play as many parts as I can. Awesome. That's it, amazing. It, it is. It is. Sometimes am- I still feel like a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> And he just turned twenty one. Oh my god! I'm far past twenty one. Yeah, yeah. Cyan, <laughs> let me let me ask you the same question. Uh, where does your fervor come when it comes to the community work that you are participating in? Uh, and your background is extremely unique, especially for a sister. And I, I think I've shared that with you as much. Um, you know, biology, marine biology, is not something that uh, you know black people. I hate to say it, really participate <laughs> in. <laughs> That's dope. It is, though. It is. It, it, go ahead, Cyan. Yes. Um, 
yeah, my biology background and psychology background, just being in that field is one thing that always drives me to kind of push forward and to advocate for black lives and especially advocate for black women in STEM. I think that's just super important, especially now as things are continuing. I'm trying to constantly encourage people, it's, it's not marine biology, but still to go into something with STEM because we still need all these black doctors. We need these black dentists. We need these black business owners and trailblazers as well. And that's how this revolution starts and that's how it continues. It's just getting more and more people to just kind of step out their comfort zone and advocate for themselves and advocate for others who look just like them and make sure that we're doing the best that we can to spread the word just to, um, you know, for justice, for peace, and to make sure that people are getting the proper getting education. I definitely try to advocate when I come home if not, if it's not in STEM, to at least try to take that next step into higher education. And that's one um, project I was actually trying to work on as well this summer, just trying to um, find different ways to help people with going to college and everything, because that's not for everyone, but who, who it is for and who gives it a thought. I think that's a great way to take a different step in the revolution. Of course, we have to be on the front lines with protests, with just standing up, with making sure our voices are heard but also just making sure everyone is educated, everyone is going out to do their part in the voting and also make sure they're doing their part in the community. How, how, much of a, how much of an influence did your parents have on you, Cyan? You know, we heard from Isaiah and, and where mm-hmm. his came from. What about the influence of your parents? And is, is that really where you get much of your influence and background from? Yeah, I definitely get a lot of my influence and my background from my parents, from my grandparents, and from my church. Um, My parents especially, they've always encouraged me to push harder, go harder. Um, My mom is actually in the sciences as well, so that's how I got started with the sciences and then into biology and into marine biology is just having that extra um, push to take the extra limit and go someplace um, and find something else and truly find out what it was that I liked and how I could make a difference. And they definitely have pushed me. They're the reason I um, chose to go to an HBCU because they didn't go to one. And they said how thrilling the experience would be. And I think also just my three years at um, Tuskegee has also made a great impact on things that I've done. Because I don't think this um, food drive I would have ever thought to plan out before I had went to Tuskegee. Wow, you know what? I, and I, I it, it, and again, uh, I, I saw, I, I saw, and was absolutely amazed. You know, what's interesting about it uh, with 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 the both of you, and actually with the three of you, Naya's not on on the microphone, is just the contributions back to the community, uh, unrelenting and just very unselfishly. And I think we, I'm, I'm in an older generation. Um, I don't. I think I got it too late, right? Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that um, is, you know, I had to wait until, you know, I was 20-something to realize the injustices that were being done to the community. So the comparison that I would like to make and probably expound upon as it relates to this conversation is this generation that we're talking to here this evening, they seem to have a better handle on it than the mid-generation folks. You know, yeah. sometimes we skip generations and mm-hmm. all of that. But is it, you know... They got we- it earlier. They're out, you know, they're they're displaying their activism at a young age. Like, there's... 
five-year-olds, seven-year-olds who go to schools that are rooted in social justice and they're learning, you know, how to advocate, how to be an activist. And I feel like our generation, we didn't necessarily get that as education. Maybe we might have gotten it from our parents, but it wasn't even something that was really introduced to us from an, an academic standpoint. That's right. so true. And I think it's the, what do you call them, the Zinners? Is their generation that is more uh, influential with the younger kids because with us and with the older generations, we were so set either in what we knew or what somebody taught to us. But the younger generations that come up, they're not only believing what they believe, but they're teaching the younger people to be more open-minded. So like Isaiah, like you said, now you're old enough to do something about it. Well, these young kids, they don't care if they're old enough. The five-year-olds, and six, I'm, I'm old yeah. enough right now. Right. I'm going to say something right now. And they don't have those governors on them to wait until they're grown to do something. Yeah. And I think it's, it's pushing back further and further, younger and younger. They're like, well, I, I have something to say. I don't care if I'm not an adult. They're I have freer. something to say. They're, they're more free than, than we are. That's you know it really is. This is worth. Uh, this is definitely worth conversation. Cyan, let me ask you: Are you going to be able to hang around with us? Because this is the lit, lit roundtable, and so what we do on the lit roundtable is that we throw out a bunch of topics, and then we all of us comment on it. So we know we have you on the live line. Isaiah's live in the studio, so you have no you, you have no choice. You are participating. <laughs> but uh, Cyan, I, I really would love for you to stick around because we got to take a break right now, pay some bills. But uh, we're going to go around the horn, and I would love to hear the, both of your, both of your uh, contributions to what the current state of America is and the impact that it is having and just what your, your editorial thoughts are on it. So, is that a yes from you, or can you hang out for a second? Yeah, I can hang out. All right, very good. <laughs> Folks, don't touch the dial. We take a very short break. Do not move. Listen, you can still connect with us. 591-1690 is the number. When we return, we continue the lit roundtable, and trust me when I tell you, it's about to be lit. So put the put the put the kids to sleep. It's the Kendall Moore Show. Getting you from your work week to your weekend. It's Kendall Moore Radio for the next generation. Show 591-1690. That is the number to connect. Of course, you can follow us on Facebook as well. Facebook Live is the Kendall Moore Show. Also, the website. Uh, we're going to do something more with the website probably next week for the 4th of July show. But uh, check out the website. It's the com. And then we are also on YouTube. Thanks to uh, Isaiah doing his fizzle. 
thug. Trying thing. to the thug thugs are trying to be young. That probably putting they, us out they, there. They we probably, out there. They probably don't even know we, they, the words we're using right now. They probably don't even what, what is a thug thizzle. But uh, check out the uh, the YouTube page. The YouTube page is uh, the Kendall Moore Show. All right, uh, we're gonna get to the calls in one second. Uh, Mama D, I got you. We're gonna come to you in just one second. Five nine one sixteen ninety is the number. Listen, so uh, we, we we got the younger folks on. Um, the media representation. There's a lot of, you know, protests that are going on. As a matter of fact, there's a protest tomorrow, uh, sponsored in part by the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. Southside Health Center is also helping out with that. And then just our young folks. Uh, let's give a shout out to that real quick. Uh, Isaiah, let's, where, where's the protest happening at tomorrow? Grant Park at Michi- on Michigan and Roosevelt. So we're meeting at 11 a.m. Okay. Called Stand Against Hate. Uh, Naya, Cyan, and myself have been working on it for the last three weeks, I oh, believe. Okay. And it's, um, we're, good, we're good to go. We, just, we also partner with Brave Space Alliance. Okay. So they'll be coming there as well. Um, we have a few volunteers, so they'll be out from the community to come help us out and uh, make some noise in this community. Tell, tell, me, tell me what the protest is all about. Stand Against Hate, I heard that, but uh, please uh, get, get into the grass on this one for me. Yeah, this is uh, basically just to like give voice to the marginalized folks within the black community that don't always get that kind of representation in media, um, partially in part because of the heteronormative society that we live in and basically the way that that tends to go. Um, with Black Lives Matter, you always um, an example that's always brought out is like a black man, uh, usually a straight black man, um, when any other kind of uh, gender, gender identifier or any other kind of intersection of identity is involved, that kind of gets pushed back. You don't normally always hear about that kind of stuff. Um, also, for trans women as well, trans black women who don't always get the spotlight as well um, when it comes to uh, murders because they're disproportionately murdered in the community. The life expectancy of a black trans woman is only 35 years old in America. So, Damn. Um, Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't know that. You know, the trans woman yeah. just got killed like two weeks ago. Remember the boy jumped over the gate two uh-huh. times and then shot in the back of the head yeah, in and Chicago? Yeah, a lot of those are yeah. hate crimes. Uh, 26 trans women were killed last year, majority of them black, mm. um, simply just for existing. Mm. So, I'm out there. I'm, that's, I'm, 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 that's part of I'm, the reason I'm why the, we want to I'm in stand them against with, hate. I'm, I'm in them streets with you guys tomorrow. I promise you that. Hey, Cyan, I'm coming to you. Media representation, speaking of which, uh, is, it, is it fair? Is it what is, as to, to your point, Isaiah, is it, is it a, a true, accurate representation of what should be conveyed coming from the protests? Um, I think it's a, I think the media needs some help and could do a lot better with accurate, with accurately showing the protests and actually showing what's about it, accurately showing all the black lives that have been um, lost due to either hate crimes, police brutality. Like Isaiah was saying, there's so many of these groups and so many stories of people's lives who have been lost that you don't hear as much because the media doesn't cover them. The, um, the media doesn't cover them, the news doesn't cover them, and it takes the nitty-gritty of digging deep and trying to find it. And even those stories, then, once you find them, are barely even told. They, you might see one little blurb on the Internet, and that's about it, as compared to so many other things. So that's why I definitely think it's a good... Our um, protest definitely takes a stance to um, try to get out there and show different things that aren't necessarily always seen. Is it our fault, though? Is it, is it, you know, when I say is it our fault, is it the, the, the older generation of African-Americans, blacks, period, point blank, or uh, do we blame the media for, you know, us not knowing? Just like Elijah, you know, two years, what is it, a year and a half before they even released mm-hmm. the, the tape, 
does more need to happen in order to tell the story? And is this why there's so much uh, support from your generation to get these stories out and to bring recognition and acknowledgement to the injustices that are occurring in our communities? I'm looking at you, Ashley. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Is making sure. Yeah, I mean, media representation has been really just marginal for um, certain people. And, it, and even when they show, like, the LGBTQ folks in media, um, it's usually through the lens of sex work, through the lens of domestic violence, or just through death. And um, you consistently see that over and over and over again, and you think that's all their humanity is kind of reduced to, and that's the only reason why they exist on this earth is to do those kind of things, or just to be in that kind of realm of, of living. Um, when, in fact, like, representation supposed to encapsulate the way in which people show their humanity and, like, people can see themselves on the screen, and that can go for every kind of group, especially for, like, black people. At least from my, my experience and my research, it's like media is kind of the start of kind of oppressive regimes. And it kind of, through media, they use to, like, internalize these notions of kind of a inferiority compared to other folks, normally white folks. Um, so, like, you have that kind of superiority complex from them, which is where white supremacy is birthed from. And that's how they get to put Native Americans on reservations without kind of any pushback, which is why they get to have things such as um, internment camps for the Japanese during mm. World War II, which is why they get to do the uh, Tuskegee syphilis experiment. And they get to do things like that Say because that. the media just shows, like, they, they don't have a life. Their, their lives are reduced to nothing. Mm. And then so when they have legislation that comes out and these kind of politicians are influenced by it, there's no pushback from the public because all they see on the screen is just negative, negativity. You see a black man getting arrested for drugs, and that's all you'll see on the, um, the news, or they'll highlight, like, black-on-black crime as if that's the only thing that exists in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that, um, it, kind of, it kind of, it doesn't help, basically. It does not help at all to see that kind of thing. And then as you're, you're older, you have a little bit more of a conservative viewpoint because things change over time. You get new information, and it's just not that you've had those before, but what do you do with new information? If you, can get, if you take new information and you don't actively incorporate that into your life and change those kind of, like, biased or bigoted mindsets, then you're just ignorant and you're just staying in your old ways, and it helps no one at all. I wonder do people really pay attention? You know, I, 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 and I say that very sincerely. I wonder do people pay attention to other people's feelings when they're talking? Because, the, you know, the generation that we're talking to right now, they have a lot to say. But when you see the camera, the news cameras, half of the time they go on to somebody who cannot articulate the way that it's being articulated here tonight, you know, on this show. You know, it's like, well, what, what do you... What's the pro- what are you protesting about? What do you want? Um, blah, 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 blah. Like, no, 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 no. So it, it's a really interesting dynamic that exists with the media. And I, would, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. And something needs to be done about that. We don't even have enough time to really get into it. But even with the big corporations right now, and we were talking about this last week when we were talking about how Chase is sending out uh, – Emails the to emails like yeah, yeah we're, we're closing uh, early for, yeah, for Juneteenth. Yeah, yeah, because we love you, and then you got all these places that are opening up right now and like showing mad love and support. Corporations just like Facebook, and you know Facebook really, and that's really interesting. That whole dynamic that's happening with Facebook is making me rethink like why are we on Facebook? You know, like getting off of the grid because there's a lot that's going on behind there. So when we talk about media, it's not just what we see on television. Yeah. We're talking about mass communications. Right. Let's go to the phone lines. Mama D, thank you very much. Welcome to the Kendall Moore Show. Oh, um, yeah, well, greetings to you guys. I'm enjoying the program. Um, 
I'm I'm a crime against humanity descendant because my grandparents were born uh, in slavery before December 18, 1865, when uh, individual ownership of slaves were changed to institutional ownership of slaves through uh, incarceration. Uh, so that's that's uh, one thing. And I'm a Jim Crow genocide survivor because mm. I was born before May 17, 1954, when it was outlawed because the Supreme Court said segregation existed only to keep the status of the Negro down, not anybody else, the status of the Negro down, and therefore it was unconstitutional. So, however, I started my freedom fighting work at the age of five, when I refused to give up my seat on the front of the bus, uh, and if it be the will, August 28th, that will be 70 years. Got you. Big shout, and, Mama D. I'm yeah, telling sir. you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And Mama D, you know I, you know I love you to death, and I don't mean to cut you well, off. Well, let me just conclude with this. Okay, go the, ahead. The children under the age of 31 are more, uh, I mean, under the age of 35, are more like us. Not our children, but our grandchildren. Mm. They're like us. They're the freedom fighters. We skipped the generations, but that's we it. were young just like them. So I just want you to know that. It. Mama D, thank you so very much. And that's a very good point that you just made. And that's what I was talking about, skipping the generations. Real talk, the those, those 80 90 babies, you know what I mean, growing up in that era, I, I, you know, that was the crack time. It really was. Like, it, when I say the crack time, everybody was trying to become Nino Brown. Mm-hmm. People were participating. Rap music had taken over. You know, the Rick Rosses, the real Rick Ross, you know, those folks, you know. So, so I get it. I get it. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, David, how you doing? Welcome to the Kendall Moore Show. Hey, hey, how you doing, Kim? It's Dave Alexander. Um, hey, good to hear from you. Good to hear from you. How you doing out there in South Carolina? I'm doing good, but I just want to say a comment. Isaiah, um, um, Ziara, I think what you're doing is outstanding. I'm celebrating my 60th birthday. I'm not a generation that was passed over. I was an activist, but I'm so proud of you guys and what you're doing and what you're saying because people don't pay attention to what you're saying, but we need to. Yep. We need to listen to you because you are our future. We have to have your back. And I am so proud of you guys and what you're doing. Stay with the advocacy work. Do what you're doing because it's important. Like Kendall says, generations skip. They didn't skip my generation because I was very active. But as I got older, I forgot. Mm. And I had to get back in the game. But it's incumbent upon you young folks to woke me up again. I've always been woken, but he gave me some light, even more light. In light of this COVID-19 pandemic, afraid to go out, but I see what you're doing, and I got your back. And we need older individuals. I love it. I'm not old to get your back. Stay in touch with us. We can do and help you. I read a book a long time ago when I was 21 in college at Waynesburg University. It's about uh, Audrey Sealy and even a child should lead us. You are the children that's going to lead us. We just need to listen to you. That's all. Love on that. Thank you, uh, David. We appreciate you. Uh, David from out of uh, South Carolina. Appreciate that. 
Um, yeah, and that, that, that really is. It's a, it's a great point. And, and I will say it again and again and again. Our genera- my generation got skipped. And you guys know I'm, I'm, you know I'm in my beginning of my 40s. So, you know. Well, well Kendall, if, if I may say this. Uh, you know, the, the baby boomers now, we have to remember that back in the 60s, the 50s, and the 60s, they were the young people, you know, and they, they fought to change the society uh, for, for the good of us today. And we, uh, we're Generation X. We are their offspring. But like I said a couple of shows ago, remember, we were the ones that were basically, uh, we were punished for what our parents were trying to do that was without a doubt good. You know, that's a so good point. So we need... We need young people like Isaiah. We need the Zennials and, and even the Xers, some of the Millennials, you know, who are, oh, they need to fight for us because you got to understand, we were the children of divorce. We were the children of, and I'm talking about black people in particular. We were the children that were affected most by the crack epidemic in our neighborhoods. We were the children that were uh, affected most by the uh, jail, the incarceration. It was Generation X. Yep. When you look at the young men and women walking, they are our age. So our children, we ask our children to fight for us because we have been uh, dealt a grave injustice, you know, and, and I, I'm with Isaiah 100 percent. We're where you should be, you know, but we have to I be, agree. We have to be their base. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Cyan, uh, let me let me bring this topic up. And, David, I want to I want to ask you this. As, I mean, uh, Isaiah, I want to ask you this as well. Uh, just trying to dump this call. I'll, I'll get to it. Um, so, of course, we're celebrating LGBTQ Month. Um, this Sunday is Pride for uh, across the nation. Um, today we were having a really uh, in-depth conversation with regards to uh, CC and Akil. When it comes to uh, internalized homophobia with your generation, uh, what's, what's, what's your position on what's the take on that? Like, what? Wh- how do you should we be feeling any type of way about that with my specific generation yeah um my experience with that kind of thing is just seeing um the people around me who have come out and like kind of having to deal with the uh the process of coming out and kind of like questioning yourself and figuring that kind of thing out um and that partially was reflected on me because i do identify as queer and also non-binary so listening, like taking that kind of thing and like going through that transition in my life and like figuring those things out, and like figuring out, <coughs> oh, excuse me, how I wanted to like live my life and how I wanted to identify and bring that out to the people around me. Um, some part of that could be like internalized homophobia. Like, is this really the right thing to do? Like, am I disappointing anyone? Am I disappointing myself? Um, and it's, it's, it's something to really go through. It's like, it's a really big process. Um, and it sucks when the community around you doesn't support you because it's so much harder because you're you're battling yourself, trying to figure out your own identity because identities that was given to you at birth or, like, given to you by your parents aren't necessarily ones that you want to identify with or live up to. You know, man. And Cece spoke, spoke on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason, the, reason that I pa- the reason that I pause is because even, as, you know, we, we're, we're not connected as a people. When you really think about that, like it's it's like it's kind of remo- some of this is removed from some of us. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the fifty. So let's go through it. You got those who are sixty. You got those who are fifty. You got those who are 40, 30, 20. You know, a statement like that, and we talk about this often, all the time, without 
your without you, Cyan, without you, your your without your presence, and it's like we're talking about your like we don't get being in a bisexual relationship. We were just talking about that. Like women these days are like in bisexual. Re- uh, what is it called? Uh, with the polyamory is that polyamory. yeah but but no not just that but now Polyam- people people can have a boyfriend and a girlfriend mm-hmm. and i'm only you know beginning 40s it's like wow really and it's a it, it's it's been normalized you see what i'm saying and like we and we're only i'm only maybe 15 20 years older than you but you know some of us we don't get it or we don't support it Cyan, I know I got you on the line. I want to pull you in on this. Where you at with this? Um, I've always known and always, um, my parents have taught me and from school and everything that love is love. Is, it doesn't matter who you're with as long as you love that person. Um, I definitely think that it's not as well recognized in the black community and not as well seen, not as well accepted. But um, the high school I went to definitely truly accepting of the whole um, anyone's identity, anyone's um, sexual orientation, everything. We had um, it was definitely one of the most eye-opening things to me and realizing more that seeing it more, but I've always just known and been taught from growing up and everything that love is love, that it wasn't anything that it was whoever I felt comfortable with whoever I loved was what everyone was comfortable with. Deep. I mean, th- th- this conversation, humbly, you know, it just deserves, it warrants more conversation and expansion, in my humble opinion. Folks, I got to take my last break, and when we return, we will wrap it up. It's the Kendall Moore Show. It's WVON's original Friday night show, Kendall Moore. He'll be back in a moment. This is Atiba Buchanan. This is David Seaton. And together, we are the Buchanan, Buchanan and, and Seaton show. show. Friday nights, 9 to midnight. On the Talk of Chicago, 1690, WVON. And WVON.com. Politics in prime time. It's political perspective with an urban twist. It's Atiba Buchanan and David Seaton on the Talk of Chicago, 1690, WVON. It's Black Music Month, and WVON is celebrating the music of the movement, artists, and songs with a purpose. Curtis Mayfield was born and raised on Chicago's north side by his mother and grandmother, who taught him piano. They encouraged him to sing gospel music. His passion became the guitar when he was 10 years old. As a young adult, he formed a singing group called The Roosters with his high school friends Jerry Butler, Sam Gooden, and brothers Arthur and Richard Brooks. After a personnel and a name change, he wrote songs for the group, now known as The Impressions. Compositions like People Get Ready, We're a Winner, Keep On Pushing, and Choice of Colors became anthems of the civil rights movement. Although he wrote songs for other Chicago artists, his main focus was to write conscious songs for his own group. After a split from the group in the 70s, he continued to write songs that would become classic protest songs, such as Move On Up, Don't Worry, If There's Hell Below, We're All Gonna Go, and We the People Who Are Darker Than You. In 1972, he composed the soundtrack for the black exploitation movie Superfly to high acclaim. 
the soundtrack outgrossed the movie in sales. More soundtracks followed until his untimely death due to type 2 diabetes on December 26, 1999. But the message in the music will live on for generations. The Talk of Chicago is celebrating Black Music Month with Curtis Mayfield. Getting you from your work week to your weekend. It's Kendall Moore Radio for the Next Generation. Holy Father, we need to talk. I have a secret that I can't keep. I'm not the boy that you thought you wanted. Please don't get angry. Have faith in me. Say I shouldn't be here, but I can't give up his touch. It is him I love. It is him. Don't you try and tell me that God doesn't care for us. It is him I love. It is him I love. the streets of Mississippi I hold my lover by the hand I feel you staring when he is with me how can I make you understand say I shouldn't be All right, folks, welcome back as we wrap up the show. We certainly appreciate everybody who has contributed here this night. I, I, listen, and I want to say this to uh, the, the, the WVON listening audience. I'm always grateful for you, uh, for you all to uh, welcome every subject matter and everything that we talk about here. We're very diverse here at the Kendall Moore Show. And, you know, I was just talking to my colleagues and was just re-emphasizing how – um, you know, we live in these bubbles. And, you know, it, it, it's just deep. And that's why we are so fragmented as a community. Real talk. And that's that's all I got to say on that subject matter. Um, yeah, and I'm going to leave it right there. Um, Will... Uh, where you at with it? Will, you, I'm you, here. Yeah, I'm yeah. Here. You know, real quick, give me give me that su- summation that you were talking okay, about. Okay, so I, I just basically summed it up to all black people out here listening. If you're a, a Generation Xer, we are paying the price for the good that our parents were trying, that they did during the Civil Rights Movement. They marched for us to be here. And the thing is, they decided... Well, since we advanced, since we elected black mayors and black congressmen all over the, the nation during the 70s, the 80s, and even the, the lower part of the 90s, that we will be punished. Their children will be punished. We will drop drugs in their neighborhood. We will destroy their school system. We will incarcerate their children, and that way the, 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 the generations will fall short. So now our children are out here where we were 30, 40 years ago. And they're fighting. They're fighting to stay alive. See, if I take away your schools, we close 50 schools. If I take away your schools, 
I can re I can reassure myself that in the next 50 years, your people will do nothing. And that's what they've done to us. And it makes me angry when I think about it. Well, black I, people wake I up. Feel that. I feel that. And, you know, interesting. We uh, need a Marshall Plan. We need a Marshall Plan for us. We need to stop fighting. Stop fighting each other. We need to come together. I don't care if you're a Republican, you're a Democrat, you're a, social, a socialist, a libertarian, whatever. We are black people. We are better than this. We need to come together. We would hope to think so. And uh, as, a, as a point of reference, as, just as a point, Barbara Bird Bennett, who did all of it, you know, and she was paid by, she's, on, she's about to get out. <laughs> just as a point, just to bring that up, because she's the one who got sent to prison for closing those 50 schools and giving the contracts mm. to her buddies, and all of them just so happened to be white boys, just as an FYI, just as a point for 50 people. 50 schools. And, you know, she did some time, and she's on her way out. Uh, but, you know, I digress. Let me uh, get around the table with everybody. I want to thank all my colleagues who participated tonight. Again, big shout to Akil, big big shout to uh, Cece, uh, Netta Beretta. Uh, give, me, give me a closing comment. I, I got to get to you. I, you know, that part. I agree with Will. I, I think that we get so caught up in what we believe and what we feel that we forget to be empathetic because this is another black person. We can have different philosophies. We can have different religious beliefs. We can have different family structures, and we can still come together as black people and come up with a plan, like Will said, because if we don't all come together we aren't going to make any progress because we have so many other factors from the outside against us. If we are always concerned with, oh, well, he's gay, I'm not messing with him. Or this right. person uh, wears a dress, and I don't think men should. Like, it's like so many trivial matters. Get to know the person right. and care about them because they're a person. Come together because they're a black person. Mm. And that's the only way that we're going to overcome these um these social issues and racism in this country, yep. closing down schools, like Real, Will said, it's not, I know we run out of time, it's not just the schools closing. Even think about employment right now. There are people who have taken that carrot and want to sit on unemployment until it runs out because they're getting an extra $600. And then Trump sending some extra money to people in seconds. So that, then what <laughs> happens when all of that runs out and there's no jobs for you? So it just perpetuates the whole situation. And now we're another generation behind as opposed to coming together in spite of our differences and coming up with a plan so that we can set ourselves up for generations to come. I feel. I feel. Cyan, thank you very much for being here. I wish I had time to get for you to give me a closing comment. Isaiah, thank you very much for being here. We certainly appreciate your contribution. We got to get ready to check up out of here. So dope, Sandy, thank you very much. Uh, Naya Fire, thank you. Of course, big shout to my man Delvin uh, for doing his thing. Folks, make sure that you uh, check out the Facebook page. It's the Kendall Moore Show. Uh, also, uh, check out the website, uh, thekendallmoreshow.com. Sorry that we couldn't get all of the calls in this week. We will be here next week, at least that's week. That's what we are anticipating. The new generation. New Generation Radio with Kendall Moore, WVON, AM 1690.
let's talk about it. Come on. New Generation. Kindle Moore Talk Radio, WBON AM 1690. Streaming live from the web, WBON.com. Let's talk about it. What's up? 